0: Uh Uh-oh, it looks like we piqued your interest in the hideout. First of all, let me tell you what the hideout is not. The hideout is not for hustlers, for grinders, or for people who are looking for a shortcut to what the world calls success. The hideout is about growing as men, creating lifelong friendships, and having the time of our lives. Are you ready to tap in to the endless source that will take you from success to significance? The hideout is two and a half days of hiking, biking, and doing the little things that it takes to create lifelong friendships. I find that joy is nothing more than falling in love with your current circumstances and allowing magic to happen. And that's when we see growth in every area of your life. Have you accomplished your goals professionally and financially, and you still thirst for something more? Has success in these areas come at the expense of far more valuable things like your family your children and your relationships alignment in business strategic partnerships and joint ventures all come from true relationships the hideout is designed to get to know people before you'll ever meet them this is not your typical mastermind the hideout is focused on the one thing that will fuel everything joy and when joy is overflowing in your life You'll find growth in your marriage, your relationships, and oh yeah, your business. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything, and that was the longest lead-in of all time. I believe both of us are tired right now. Although we wanted to get the message out about the hideout, uh, which I think is amazing. It's two and a half days of, you know, the, the stuff that I think that guys need to do more of and spend more time on and that we don't do enough. Um, this is the 200th episode, and I want to thank every single person out there that's been riding with us since the beginning, our sponsors that are running across the screen, that you can click the links and do all the things. Samaritan's Feet, Michael Mina, Cardenas Law Group, Squeeze Dry, uh, Finley Volvo Cars of Las Vegas, Pink Cancer for Cancer and many, many more, solo.to. I want to thank every single one of you. But this is a special episode not only because it's the 200th episode, but also because for me, this is one of the most iconic guys in my life because he's one of the best friends that I've had over the last 20 years. And uh, people ask me all the time, they're like, you know, what's the secret? What's the secret to this or that? And it's honestly, it's making a ton of friends. It's connecting with people. And this guy and I connected, uh, we were fast friends right away. Um, Um, Right when we connected, we were snapping on each other, busting on each other, and he's continued to bust on me all day because we had so many technical difficulties. He is a jack of all trades. I mean, uh, an incredible uh, educator for Paul Mitchell uh, over the years, also turned photographer. Now is, uh, what's what's the exact title as far as, uh, tell me the exact title.
1: Marketing director.
0: Marketing director for driveway auction, and I got that one right too. So driveway auction, big shout out. Big Tom Photography. The guy is talented in every single thing that he does including snapping on every single person and having one of the quickest wits that I've ever met in my entire life. His lady, Kamala, if you're out there listening, she said, what are you guys going to have to talk about? Well, sit back, buckle up, because this guy is not only a a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of wisdom, but also one of the funniest dudes that I know. So please welcome to the show, Mr. Thomas O'Connor.
1: I appreciate that, Kelly. That was quite the intro. I mean... I didn't think I could follow yours <laughs> for the hideout.
0: <laughs> it, was, it was long. It was a minute and 48. It's funny because people talk about it all the time, Tom, and let's hop right into it. Uh, attention spans. They, they keep saying that, you know, human beings have an attention span that keeps lessening and lessening. So when we started off, it was like Instagram, and it was like a three-minute video. And then uh, they said, oh, well, you have to get down to a minute. And then they said, uh, you know, on Facebook, you can only do 30 seconds. And then they were saying, if you don't get them in 15 seconds... With all these new technologies that come about, um, you have always used the one thing that works all the time, which is personal connection. How have you been able to hone that craft and master that craft, and why has that been so important for you to have true personal connections with every single person that you meet?
1: I mean, I think there's been multiple people, especially when you're a hairdresser and we go to all these hair shows and listen to lots of different... Motivational speakers and knowledgeable people like yourself and all the other ones you and I have been very fortunate to be in the a company of. But um, you know, early on, and I think anybody that knows my mother will attest to the fact that she will talk to anybody, and that's not like that's unique to my mother. Um, she might be listening right now and going, "Oh, geez already," but she's the one that goes to the grocery store, comes home, and has a breast a new best friend. You know, she's talked to the person, she's found out that. You know, John's going to college at Pitt, and, you know, his girlfriend's going to Penn State, but they're going to make it work. And I'm like, how many questions did you ask this poor kid? But she had this connection with people that was very natural. And when you're walking around you see her do that, you pick up on those behaviors, much like I'm pretty sure both your kids have picked up on that with you in Brooklyn. I mean, you guys have great personalities. They're going to have that same trait. So then becoming a hairdresser and being able to develop that skill, you um, you become very important. Like you said, the attention span is short. uh, So I guess I probably should keep the story short. (laughs) But, um, you know, when you think about it, you only have a few minutes to get somebody comfortable with you in the chair. You know, you have a walk-in come in, and they want to have chemicals done and all these things, and you really have to make them trust you in a quick minute. You know, it's nothing different than with photography. I was doing these photo shoots this past week with my salon suites, and, you know, the cool thing about that was I was shooting 15, 20 suite members a day, and had to get them comfortable super quick, and you have to get them to trust you because you don't have a lot of time. So people's attention span is short, but I think sometimes that can work to your advantage if you can just get them to snap into it super quick. But, um, yeah, it's definitely something that it can take some time, but if you look back in your lineage, it usually comes from somebody in your history that gave you that gift of gab.
0: Well, I think with your mom, like your mom and pop, like if you got a chance to meet Mr. and Mr. O'Connor, these two are, uh, are salt-of-the-earth people, and they're not looking to get anything from you. They're not looking to, like what I love about your pop is your pop isn't like trying to teach you a lesson, but he teaches you a lesson by just being himself. Now, what, at what age did they, did, was it something that they talked to you about, or was it something that you just started to see your parents do it, and then you were like, oh, wow, that kind of works out, I'm going to try it out.
1: As far as which, what do you mean as far as I what? mean, like the connection, like the connection point. The connection point, perfect, the connection perfect point perfect just, comment, just like what connection. we have
0: right now. We yeah. just lost our, our video. Um, <laughs> we just <laughs> lost our video on it, which I'm going to work on. But, Tom, I want you to talk to me a little bit about um, this this connection point that you have, you know, with people. Like, you're, you make fast friends, and, and I would like to think that it's just about me. I would like to think that I'm probably one of the coolest cats that you would ever meet. But that's not the case. I see you connect on a different level with so many different people. How are you able to do that, and what are some of the – I mean, when did this start? Was it was it right out the womb, or was this taught?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's taught. I think it's just something that kind of just evolved because you're not the first person to say it. And if anybody doesn't know, I'm sure most of the people that are listening don't know. I used to work for a Robert Croming salon, so I spent a good amount of time traveling with Robert. And I remember – vividly being in the Chicago airport and us getting delayed and canceled and moving locations and uh, back and forth between different gates and we actually ended up sitting in probably four or five different locations and we happened upon different individuals in every location we sat next to and because of the way we dressed at the time and weird haircuts and um, you know lots of different black on and things like that people definitely had questions of we're up Um, definitely had questions of uh, what did we do, and all of them were very different, we sat down next to two business guys, and we chopped it up with the two business guys, and then we sat down next to two guys that were hardcore NASCAR guys, sat down there, and and I talked to them, and we sat down the next couple guys that were super sportsy, and I talked to them, and Robert was there, and of course was cordial, and friendly, and chit-chatty, but kind of sat back a little bit, and allowed me to kind of talk I was new in the sort of the show world so there was um, probably some curiosity on his part as far as let's see if this kid can speak and how he speaks and how he is with people and things like that and afterwards when we finally got on airplane the next day after staying in the Hyatt and long night of four different plane changes I did get us into the VIP club though by just trying to beg and plead and got us in there but um, he said, he goes, I don't, he goes, how did you do that? How did you talk to all those people in their language? Um, you know, and I said, I don't know. I said, I just, I've had lots of different friends in life in high school. I had, of course, you know, you know Sergio. Um, some of the ladies out there probably go, oh, I remember Sergio. <laughs> um, you know, but I had Sergio and my circle of friends with Sergio that my other group of friends would refer to as my Beverly Hills 90210 friends because we were the, you know, we went. It was just a different circle. That's all I need to say about that. It was like that was that group, and then my other group that called them that were my camouflage buddies, so to speak. We were the ones that went fishing, and most of my baseball buddies, and things like that. So those guys talked about different things. Those guys behaved a different way. The the Sergio group we talked a different way. You know, no disrespect to either side of that equation, but you know, you I think the more you, you know, you can have opinions, you can have um, feelings, and strong opinions on whatever it is in the world, but I think if you only align yourself with 100% like-minded individuals, you become narrow-minded to the world, and with um, having friends from all different spectrums, you start to at least understand where somebody's coming from, why they may be a certain way, why they may have a certain habit or characteristic that you may not understand, but you go, okay, it's kind of where they're from. I mean, the, when people go, oh, I'm late because I'm from so-and-so, I don't buy that one, you can get, you can be on time, but otherwise, I think there are some definite um, things that come from where you come from, and, it, you know, I went to school in Ohio, I grew up in Pittsburgh, I've lived in California, I've traveled all around, so I've definitely met lots of different people, and I think that's been the, be- the blessing, so I can start to have these conversations and find that connection point, and being a hairdresser in Vegas, somebody sits in your chair from a different state every day, so, you have to have some something to talk about when somebody's from Canada, and then the next person's from Arizona, and the next person's from England.
0: So. Well, I, I and mean, I think that that is a, 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 a an incredible way of thinking about it too, as far as having different types of friend groups. Like you and I, we're friends. We don't agree on football at all. Um, this guy's a Steeler fan. I barely did even let him on the show. Um, he's a Steeler fan. Ben a Steeler fan. I mean, he they continue. He's got some s- silly towel. That he's going to bring out too, that we stomped on, uh, you know. If you if you, yeah, know, my, out, if you know my if you know my Titans, well. if you know my Titans, then uh, you know you know the lineage. Um, but that's that's the cool thing is like you know we go back and forth. We don't agree, and he's wrong, obviously. And all of you out there, knowing that have been riding with me from uh, you know Titans Nation, you all know that he's wrong. And he'll continue to be wrong in his uh, football. But it's great how, uh, what I love about you too, Tom, is that you're how, uh, the, the ability for you to be able to drop into whatever situation, right? And so this takes a ton of confidence. And this is a thing that we've talked about on the podcast before where, you know, with, with a couple of people as far as, you know, building that confidence. Where does that confidence come from? Were you born with it? Was it just natural or does it, do you just build on it?
1: I mean, it depends on the situation because there's definitely a lot of the times where I feel like I'm 100% not confident. Um, And even in in now when, you know, doing photography for as long as I have, you know, there's still situations where you don't feel like, all right, I got this. I know 100% I got it. I mean, there's times where you do and you feel like this is a no-brainer. I got it in the can. Um, Same with haircuts and colors and all those different things. But, um, you know, Robert always used to say, fake it till you make it. Um, and just
0: as a caveat, most of you don't know who the hell Robert Chromians is. Well, we you you and him uh, we we worked together a long time ago. He's a hairdresser, um, great guy. We need most. To cover that. Well, but, I mean, most of, most of the people out there listening they, they have no idea they're not hairdressers. And I just I want to key you guys in, if you don't know who Robert is, when we refer to him as that, um, you know, as, as someone that was very influential in our lives. And, and I think more than the hair aspect of it, it was, you know, the, the connection point and being able to connect with people and, and, and helping, you, helping us to be able to see a different side of life, um, you know, which I, I think is, which I think was awesome. You know, you were back in the conference part of it you were saying that you know sometimes you're a hundred percent not confident that's weird to see because you're a handsome dude right i don't like hanging out with you uh that much because you're that much better looking than me and you're still you know six sixty you're a beautiful man shrunk. and but six it's five. it was all oh, six five sorry shrunk a little. yeah just shrunk but what i'm saying is is like a lot of times people would look at you a guy of your stature a guy of your talent and think how could he ever not have confidence can you take us through that part? Because there's a lot of people out there that struggle with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think everybody, you know, I think in certain places you do have to put on the the strong front. It's like when you're the captain of the team, the quarterback, whoever, you know, even if you're nervous about the situation, you have to portray that strong front. Same thing when I was working in the salon, you know, if things were going south, whether it was just super busy or super slow, whatever it was, you know, it was important to portray that air of confidence. But I think – more often than you want to admit, there's a lot of times in our lives where we don't feel confident, you know, over the last few years, you know, and really don't want to bring up COVID. It's one of those things. What where, is COVID? What I happened? know. I know. It's, just, <laughs> it's a <laughs> linebacker on the Titans. I think um, <laughs> <laughs> he wrecked shop for like two
0: years. That's why, that's why he said that. That's um,
1: right. But, you know, it, it was tough for me. You know, I had, um, you know, Kamala and I, she's, one of the most amazing people, and I know everybody says they don't deserve the person they're with, um, but it's true, I mean, in in the most, I can't express it enough, you know, she's put up with um, my choices as far as careers go, and they're not necessarily the most stable, the most most, uh, obvious sort of choices in life, and I went to college, got my degree in accounting, and I could have just rode that out, I worked at a bank, and but I didn't like the suit and tie and the co- kind of corporate structure and all that. And that's how I ended up becoming a hairdresser and meeting you and all this. And and my life took a whole different course. And I think like, um, you know, you, things happen f- for a certain reason, but then, you know, COVID hits and I was doing, I was in Las Vegas working and my photography business was a little different there because I had a, a big company that hired me a lot. Um, and it's the, it's sort of the, the classic mistake I think a lot of business people can make, especially when they have a, um, type of business where you're, you have the potential to have a big client, like a lawyer, um, says, Oh, you know, this guy gives me 80% of my annual income, but all of a sudden you lose that client, you lost 80% of your annual income. So with me at photography, um, you know, the one company in Las Vegas who I owe uh, so much to, you know, destinations by design, shout out to you guys. Um, you know, they gave me so much work early on, probably when I didn't even deserve it, um, and got me, you know, money in my account to allow me to buy more equipment, to do more stuff for them, and, you know, so my my business had grown to the point where they were probably a good 60 to 70 percent of my annual income, um, and then I was doing racing with, um, for a couple years, and IMSA racing, and the team working with the Patron team there, and then they you know, got rid of that team. And so in a couple of years, all of a sudden, a couple of my big clients just kind of faded off into the sunset. And I still do work with destinations, um, but not as often because I'm obviously here. So it's very specific things that they might bring me in for. So COVID hits and things slowed down. And, you know, I was definitely in sort of a funk for a while. And, you know, you know, had put up with that. I mean, and we obviously had some difficult discussions about, you know, making sure I find a new path. And, Kind of looked at some options and looked a little bit at school teaching and, you know, in my heart. I knew as much as I loved teaching in the in the hair industry and I loved coaching people um, as far as photography goes and helping them set up their their zooms when their connections go out and whatever it could be. Um, you know, I, I I knew my heart wasn't going to necessarily be in teaching and, you know, at the same time this job came up with um, driveway where uh, my friend Mike came in, and, and he sort of restored my confidence. Um, he was able to sort of give me an opportunity to sort of have a little job within his company as a sort of an outside contractor. He said, hey, can you design me an app? And when he d- gave me that opportunity, I said, well, I'm not a, I said, I'm a photographer, I'm a hairdresser, I said, I can paint a little bit, whatever. He said, no, I, I he goes, I just need somebody creative that can, you know, step in and, and create this app for us because we're going to put this app together that's going to go along with our business model and he said uh, you know I'll pay you x amount of dollars um, per hour he goes and if you get it done in two months I'll give you a little bonus and I said Mike I don't have a clue how to do this and he said you'll figure it out Um, which has sort of become the motto within driveway as far as me is Tom will figure it out like they just give me a new program every week and Figured out like it, it goes with the business, and I'll, I'll muscle it up and figure out how to do it. So, I he recommended a certain program and taught and explained to me about we were going to do this wireframing and UX design. And over the course of a few months, I figured it out and uh, got the design done for him. We're still working on it; it's not out yet. It's really close, um, but it's going to be this opportunity for people to get in there and do. Um, I don't want to talk about too much. I guess I don't, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about it too much, but it'll be a, a neat experience for people that are looking to sell their car. Um, so he helped me get that confidence back um, because I was struggling there through COVID because the photography had definitely stopped for a while. All my hairdresser friends know that pain of no interaction with your guests, no, no personal touch. You know, when, as a hairdresser, we touch people and and literally touch them. And it, and when you don't have that interaction, it's, it, it can really be tough on you. And so I think, like a lot of people out there who struggled through COVID, um, I really had a tough time to find that spark to sort of get going again and re- maybe rebuild my photography thing. And, and my photography definitely slowed down to the major clients only because um, now with Driveway, we really want to get that going, but they've been nice enough to allow me to uh, still go on with my big clients that you know either are, are fun destinations or just bigger jobs that um, afford me a little extra income, because I'm not servicing somebody from nine to five, my job can be sort of a little more flexible when I'm building a website or designing some graphics for Instagram or you know, coming up with some marketing ideas or whatever it is. A lot of hats right now.
0: This guy is humble. He's really humble. For all of you listening out there, this guy is a top level in the photography game. And also working with some clients like Patron, one of the biggest in the game, working with the NBA. Um, he, he's, again, very, very, very humble in all these things. The, the part that I hear uh, so much, Tom, that's, that is a, a huge part of your success and always has been, I've got to view it from the outside, is your permission to try. You've like, you have this uncanny ability to just go at it. Like, with this company that, you know, marketing director. You weren't a marketing director before you started oh, in I don't that. I think I
1: still am. You,
0: <laughs> had, you had permission to try. Who gave you permission? Was, were your parents constantly, like, telling you that? Or were you getting it from your friends? Or, I mean, because a lot of times, I mean, what I find is most people stop themselves from ever succeeding or pushing past that level or pushing to a level that they want because they don't have the permission to try in the first place. But it seems like you have an overabundance of this. Can you, can you help a brother out in in how to understand that?
1: It's a credit to my parents. You know, I've um, I said it before, and I don't remember where I said it to them, but um, they always supported myself and my sister in whatever – non-traditional endeavor we were kind of into.
0: Even when you got done with college and then you said, hey, I'm not going to use my accounting degree and I'm going to go and make people's hair shorter?
1: No, they weren't surprised. They were, it was sort of one of those phone calls. You were like, I remember Serge and I talking about it. And I said, I, I'm going to tell my parents, I think I'm going to move to California and become a hairdresser. And, you know, I was surprised because, um, you know, my dad was like, you're 21, do whatever you want. He goes, if you want to give it a whirl, give it a whirl. Um, and my mother was like, your grandma would be so proud because she would always talk about, you, you know, your hair was your, your uh, crown and jewel. So she would, was very proud of, you know, I've never seen my mother in public without her hair done to some degree, if not completely um it just goes against the rules you know so and she's not going to pop a hat on i don't think i've ever seen her with a baseball hat on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> mama o'connor i'm going to get you a baseball hat that says that, has. Uh, we're, we're going to get her a podcast hat or we'll get her a hideout hat and see if she'll wear it no when you were when you were coming out from california or coming out from pittsburgh uh where that one team is out, you, yeah that one team you moved out because that one team um and we won't even mention their name anymore, uh, because we want to make sure that we talk about champions here on, on the podcast. <laughs> but when, when you <laughs> uh,
1: what team do you like now? <laughs> Did you start yeah. following the Patriots? Or oh my
0: gosh, yeah. uh, we don't want to talk about them either. We retired Tom Brady. We might
1: have to have a whole separate sports episode. Tom
0: Brady's last game with the Patriots, was a Titans interception. I don't know if you're called this.
1: No, it doesn't care. Okay, well, I just want to let you know. Don't care about either one of them.
0: Yes, we want to talk about. Yeah. We, but when you were moving out from that one city, I won't even name the city. Mm-hmm. You were moving away from that city, and you were moving to California. You made a stop. And that stop was one of the coolest couple of weeks that we've had, <laughs> that I've had in my life. And and honestly, like we didn't we we didn't really even know each other at this time. Can you can you talk to this part of it? We knew each other, but it was like one interaction in a, a different city. Cause it was New York where we first met.
1: I had to think about this last night because I had it, I was excited. Like you called me last night. You're like, I feel like it's like Christmas Eve. I'm so excited for tomorrow. And I was then that got me more excited and then you know, I actually didn't even go to bed in bed last night. I slept on the couch because I was thinking about <laughs> That's it. That's a big bed. couch, man. Well, it's a comfy yeah, that couch. is a it big couch.
0: For your big ass to be on well, the uh, couch, that 6'5 frame. I love
1: that couch, is so comfy. It's a hey, thick.
0: what's more important? Uh, a comfy couch, good looking couch. Talk to my wife
1: right now. What room? I'm talking front room. It's got to be good looking. I know the answer to that one.
0: You, it's got to be good looking for you man I'll take an I'll take a, I, I'll take a nasty couch this comfy well
1: do you only have one couch in the house I'm saying
0: like one room you know what I'm I saying know,
1: but if it, in the good room it's got to be the good couch but in the other room it's got to be the comfy. I couch. think
0: kamala has got a little bit too much <laughs> hooks in you right now man you want to, you, you, you should, would go she, it's you nice she did a good she job. did a good job Camilla ate hey, my decor like my decorating uh, uh trophy goes to you I went over to the house it was phenomenal but I'm saying like do you want a comfy couch? You want a good looking couch? You're gonna take a uh, you're gonna take a real good looking, uncomfortable couch to watch your football on?
1: It's a loaded question. Come on, Tom. I mean, at the end of the day, it's gotta be comfy. Okay, there we go. Yeah, gotta, I
0: knew it was comfy. Otherwise, out.
1: you're not gonna sit on it. See,
0: he was tra- because date night is tonight with Kamala. But I'll be honest. And he was thing. like,
1: it's comfy too. The, the couch she got both? A, it's both. She got both. It's both. It's That's like the holy both. grail. Yeah, it's this big fluffy it's white, which is terrifying. That's, that's terrifying. terrifying. So I don't even take water. Well, I, drink, I drink over there. That's not true. So you slept
0: on the couch last night, not because Kamala told you. On the couch
1: in the other room, not the fancy couch. Okay. That's how. I was thinking about us. What we, oh, so the, the timeline. <laughs> I was trying to think of, I'm like, okay, which show was it at? Because Sergio and I stumbled upon... It was New York. Do you want to go back to a couple months prior? And we'll get you right up there. Right Let's now. go. All right. So I became... Sergio and I were buddies since knee-high. So we've been friends forever. Sergio goes to hair school, calls me up, says, hey, there's this Paul Mitchell show in town. They're looking for some models.
0: For those of you out there listening, Sergio is um, also a 6'3". Is he six three six four?
1: Probably more like four and a half.
0: So six four, six five. So these are the Twin Towers. Two good-looking dudes. I run into them. Like, I run into them. Go ahead. So, yeah, I mean. So
1: Sergio's the, you know, the... Long-haired Italian. Tarzan. Yeah. every In high school, it was like, oh, Sergio. It was like, the we always were like, oh, here we go again. Every time you go out, it's like, oh, here we go with Sergio. Now that's the good thing. Then you I get know. the fallout. You no, know what well, I mean? Well, anyway.
0: We're looking for the fallout. Yeah,
1: so he tells me there's this guy coming to do a show in Pittsburgh. They're looking for some models. So he said, me and some of the girls from the hair school, he was in hair school at time to take over his dad's salon. And he goes, come down to the model, call with me. He goes, maybe we'll meet some girls. So we go down to this hair show, there's a handful of guys in the room, most of which were boyfriends of girls that were there, Um, and the guy approaches us and goes, are you two here for the show? And we were like, yeah, and he was like, oh, that's great, and so he was like, talking to us about what he might do to our hair and everything, and that person was Sam Burns, who I owe a lot to, because without Sam bringing us into that first experience, you know, the evolution of me doesn't happen exactly the same way, so Sam brings us in, and I remember watching the hair show. I mean, he did my hair and I, I couldn't tell you what he did to my hair um, you know, but it, it was interesting to listen to Sam because he was the first motivational speaker that I heard that um, had a great message and a great way of delivering things and I was really enamored by the way that he captured the crowd and captivated the crowd and um, that's more what I noticed than anything at that hair show. so then we did another show with Sam in DC and at that show we met Robert Cromines and Stephanie Kaczelski and and all of that team, and um, from that show, we did a couple more, and then from there, we got the opportunity to model for Robert, because we said, we didn't know how the hair industry worked, we thought Sam was, like, the biggest guy in the industry, so we just assumed when he, we heard about the New York hair show, Sam was going to be doing it, so we said, Sam, hey, can we model for you at the New York show, and he goes, that's actually not going to be me, he goes, because uh, where he goes, with Paul Mitchell, he goes, that's going to be Robert and some other people, He goes, but let me call Robert and see if he'll use you guys because you guys met up in in Grand Rapids at another show. So Sergio and I go out, and his sister was dancing for the Rockettes at the time, so we go and stay in Queens with her, and we spend like a week in New York, and we do the big hair show in New York. And, um, you know, I remember that very first day we were trying to find the prep room and everything, and we walk into the prep room, and him and I are standing on the left side of the prep room, and we look over, and we're trying to get a feel for everything, and we look over, and we see you – and Michael Chevella, and we made... <laughs> shout some, out, Michael. Shout out, Michael. Uncle Mike, um, one of my favorite people, too. Um, have you had him on yet? I haven't. Yeah, I, I can't know, wait. He's, he's, uh, he's a good one to talk to. But uh, So we look over, and, of course, him and I made a couple quick snaps on you two, and I found out later you two did the same to us when we walked in and looked at the two of us and they were like, oh, look at these two. Um, but then somehow in that prep room... We started to find common ground, and we started to figure out, hey, we have like minds here. We all like sports, and, you know, we all like to kind of play locker room all the time. And, uh, you know, and and Sergio has that different humor that sometimes isn't as often, but when he hits you with it, it's sharp, and it's hilarious. Um, You know, I I remember the the night that really made things connect for you and I, and we won't get into the details because it's not the temperature of the world right now. (sighs) You know what I'm going to say. You get canceled. Don't you you know we what get I'm canceled. Say, don't you? WWF yeah, Cafe. But, but when we went out to dinner the one night, and it was the four of us and Jen, uh-huh. uh, Jen Dozier, hoarder, from also I'm not sure she's with, I don't think she's with Paul Mitchell anymore, but. I think she um, is, possibly. Yeah, she is. Okay. She is. But um, we somehow decided as a group that she was going to be the target of the jokes for some odd reason. <laughs> and it was almost as if we just rotated around. And it was. I think it ultimately became more me and you than Mike, because Michael is sweet to the core, and he didn't have that in him. And Serge was in there, but not as often. And I think it became almost a game between you and I to see who could get the funniest snap-off. And she was dying of laughter. She thought it was hilarious. So nobody's uh, feelings were hurt, so if anybody's worried about that. But that was the night to me that I remember you and I kind of bonding and me kind of going away from that night, feeling like, all right, I got somebody that I – I feel really comfortable. And if I join this company that I have a, you know, a partner in crime that I can do, you know, hang out with, although you were going to be in Vegas and I was going to be in San Diego. So Sergio and myself and um, cousin Eddie, who. Oh my gosh.
0: (laughs) So uh, let me, let me give the backstory on cousin Eddie real quick because cousin Eddie is cousin Eddie to everyone. And when I met cousin Eddie, Tom said, this is cousin Eddie. And I said, Oh, cool. And then I was like, wow, that sounds so similar to the guy on vacation. And if you've watched Vacation with Chevy Chase, Cousin Eddie is that guy. And that's the reason why I came about. I don't know the whole, whole story, but I don't even know Cousins Eddie's name. He's just Cousin Eddie. And even in a professional area, Cousin Eddie, shout out to you, even in the professional realm, he's still Cousin Eddie. Like, I've seen him working at a place, and it was like, oh, that's Cousin Eddie. So... It was the, I mean, it was this connection point with him, which I thought was amazing. And, you know, let's fast forward, too, because when you went, like, we met that one night. We were hanging. We were fast friends. It was amazing. And your connection point, and this, uh, that's the thing that I want you uh, out there listening to understand, is Tom is Thomas successful at every single thing he does because he connects with people. It's not because he knows the latest technologies. He's going to figure them out but he's got permission to try and he's got connection point with people such a connection point that we had only met we had only hung out that one night in, or one or two nights in New York and then i don't even know if you called me but you end up in Vegas and how long do you stay in Vegas
1: two weeks between your house and Michael's two weeks
0: just shows up in Vegas and we're just like hey we were
1: moving to San Diego and we said well let's go through Vegas and we just stayed for two weeks
0: and I tell you, that type of friendship, I mean, people ask me all the time. They're, they're always constantly asking me, like, you know, what is the, what's the little secret sauce? And what I tell them is there's three main components. Number one, be kind. Like, contribute to people. You know, whether it be we were snapping on each other, but we were contributing to each other, laughter, all those things. Number two, make a ton of friends. And number three, stay super curious. And if you notice, Tom embodies every single one of those. So how is it that you continue to land on your feet tom like i mean you went from accountant to hairdresser to you know photography at the highest level all these things are at the highest level well, and accounting.
1: now i wouldn't say accounting i was at the highest level. Okay, okay well i accounting mean it was just a little stepping stone to get into something else cause... but you
0: keep i mean it's it, it's like you got nine lives man every time you hit you you land on your feet and you keep going what do you think are some of the components that cause that to happen
1: Luck is obviously a factor. You know, I think there's anybody that denies that luck comes into the equation, you know, meeting the right people at the right time and, you know, um, meeting Robert at those hair shows. If he's, you know, meeting Sam and then meeting Rob, you know, I was thinking about it the other day. You can explain yourself a lot better if you could look at your journey from like the view of a drone versus looking just behind you because you can see the whole path. You know, you could actually look back and go, oh, that was a major one right there where I split off. Because if I hadn't met this person, I might have went back to Pittsburgh and stuck at the bank. And who knows if I would have ever got into hair if I don't go to that little model call with Sergio and meet Sam. And Sam kind of gets me rolling in that direction. Um, so, I don't know. I think. Well, even your, even your hair, right? So,
0: even from you doing hair. And then you shooting for Patron in the NBA. Like these things don't match.
1: They don't Can but you they
0: connect, do. connect the dots for us? Because the person out there listening is like, wait, well, hold on. They're like, wait a second. I love you, Mr. Tom O'Connor. But you just said you were seriously, you're you doing hair and then you're doing photography for Patron and then you're doing it for the NBA and you're doing it. Did you do it in the NFL too? Mm-hmm. In the NFL, do you do it for MLB too?
1: No, never did. No MLB. Okay, MLB, reach out to Big Tom Photography.
0: You guys need to to link up. But, I mean, a lot of people are like, wait a second, those things don't connect. But in your world, from that drone view, they connect. Help us to see that connection.
1: So, for one, for sure, creative people are just naturally creative in lots of formats, for the most part. Um, You know, I find that a lot of people that are hairdressers like to cook or... Most hairdressers I knew had another artsy habit, um, you know, so for me, you know, I watched a lot of movies as a kid, and anytime somebody would hand me their disposable camera, I took a little bit, a smidgen of pride, whether, it wasn't necessarily known at the time, but I subconsciously did realize that I wanted to take the f- their favorite picture from that role, or I would try to maybe frame it a little better. I mean, I looked at some junky pictures I took on a business trip when I worked at at and to Florida through the window of the hotel, but they were kind of cool. Like, I, I, I somehow knew to take it at that moment and set it up a certain way. And I, I, I watch movies sometimes now. You know, the boys won't watch anything from the 80s because they're so slow. They don't care. But I'll watch certain things and see the way things were framed and realize, okay, that's where my eye came from. Um, so then becoming a hairdresser was partly because I was a airbrush kid. I did graffiti, and I liked art. So then that hair became a, a new form of art. It was just a different thing. And then also being able to move from Pittsburgh to California gave me a smidgen of permission to sort of change my personality a little bit. Um, Not to say that I wasn't the same person at home, but I found that I I came out of my shell a little bit more, and I I, I became a little more um, looser with my personality in the salon, partly from just being around other fun individuals. Uh, so then other forms of art just kind of become a thing. We, we at the salon opened up a studio where we were going to make DVDs and hair videos and things like that. And, I, and you, know, the, you know, those guys were videoing and making these cool videos. But they did have a still camera sitting on the counter, and I would p- find myself picking it up and, and shooting certain things. And I remember Takashi one time telling me to, like, to, like especially for the step-by-step, to so take it straight. Don't take crooked pictures. Um, but I was always trying to take weird pictures, and I found that that ended up becoming kind of my style, and that's the thing that clients hired me for. So the the jump between the two really came from the relationship of those people in my chair in the salon. So the NBA connection came from a group of women from the NBA came out in the summer. I was working at Mandalay Bay in the salon there. They came out to do some location scouting for their events. They came into the salon and um, found themselves in my chair. And through that, we had a little bit of relationship. They came out again. On the second trip out, at that point, I had picked up a camera, started taking a few pictures um, for a couple small things. And the client said, Oh, what have you been up to? And I said, Oh, I said, I, you know, I got a camera. I said, I I shot a couple little events locally. And she said, Oh, you should, maybe I could have you do my event. And (laughs) I was like, okay. Um, I said, I'm not a photographer, you know, and I, I had said this to th- two other clients before, that I'm not a photographer when they kind of offered me photo work, one of which was Patron as well, and they were <laughs> like, well, I trust you with my hair. You'll do great. It's fine. <laughs> I just need somebody to be there. So I said, okay. Hold and on. Hold on.
0: Y- you had Patron, the largest the largest tequila company in the world.
1: My second client.
0: Okay, and the MBA that were like, hey, can you just my come third, and my third client. Can you come and shoot this but thing? This
1: thing. So, I And like, you were yeah. like,
0: I'll just figure it out.
1: Well, so in my own de- stupidity defense is <laughs> she says, come shoot my event. And so because I'm in Las Vegas and the events that I had done at this point were casino-based and she had been out there scouting all this stuff, I'm assuming, which we all know how that goes, is it's something in a ballroom at one of the restaurants. It's going to be some executives, whatever. So she says, I'll call you in December and let you know if it's a go. Calls me the day before christmas and says hey do you still want to do the event and i said yeah what's the details she's like oh she's like well i'll get you all the stuff she's like um but it's gonna be and she gives me the dates it's right around valentine's day and it's like four days and i was like what event she's like all-star and i said i'm not a photographer (laughs) and she's like you'll be fine so i think okay whatever I'm not going to say no. So I say, okay, for sure. Take the job. It's in Los Angeles. It's 2010 at the Staples Center. I show up. I walk into the Staples Center. There's media people everywhere. (laughs) I have my Nikon.
0: Did you 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 have a Polaroid?
1: I might as well have because all I had at that point was a 300S Nikon. You
0: went by yourself. Hmm? You just rolled up by yourself to the NBA All-Star Game.
1: Pretty much. Okay. So I have a entry-level professional camera, which Is I Is this had, from Costco? Uh, Best Buy. It came with a bag okay. that I took.
0: You took the bag.
1: <laughs> took the bag. Okay. An extra the Nikon lens. bag. It the had Nikon to... bag, yes. an extra lens, a netbook, not even a laptop. Netbook. I did rent a longer lens. I was smart enough to rent a 70 to 200 lens, so I did have a little bit longer lens. Okay. But I show up, and I go into the room to get my credentials. First thing I find out, I'm in the wrong room. It's like, great. So now I'm nervous. They're like, You're in the NBA room, it's down the hall. So I was like, I thought I was in the NBA room. Apparently, I was in the general media room. (laughs) Part of the, now I'm like, oh, I'm in the NBA room, so this is a little more serious here. Get my credential. They're like, you're on the fifth floor, room, whatever. Walk into this room. There's two young ladies sitting at a desk, um, and there's a pipe and drape behind them. Hi, how are you? I said, I'm Tom, I'm one of the photographers. And there's, big mass of people behind this pipe and drape i can see the room so i'm thinking these are all the photographers i'll just find a corner blend right in and she's like oh (laughs) well so we go around the pipe and drape and she goes the photographers are right over here right next to the front there's a table with five guys sitting at it i see multiple proper camera bags like i had with me today you know laptops everybody's laptop has a team on it nobody was dumb enough to have a Titan laptop sorry <laughs> but there was you know I see all these <laughs> different laptops and I see one that's a Pittsburgh Penguin logo on the back of the laptop because at this point I'm like just trying to make a friend because there's five guys sitting there and now I'm panicked and I was like oh are you a, a Penguin fan and he looks up and he goes I'm their team photographer looks down and gets back to work and I was like oh so th- my friend Eddie uh, who I've been friends with since that day comes over to me and this goes back to making friends and relationships and He's like, don't worry about that, stick with me, I'll show you the ropes. He goes, there's only a handful of us, he goes, but we're going to have a good time. And, and he showed me how to, and he taught me a lot about people and how to, like, we would walk through, you, you can imagine the NBA All-Star Weekend, you have everybody in a building from the people that are the security guards, the people that are working the in the concession stands that are, you know, the, the everyday hardworking people, all the way up to the Kim Kardashians and the Kanye Wests and all the biggest celebrities in the world are all in this building. And Eddie treated every single person the exact same way. And that was something that I watched him do and I learned from and realized that that was something that allowed me to realize that for a lot of the creative spaces, the trust comes in that relationship and they'll give you the chance to maybe not be the best in the beginning and stick around long enough to get good with you Um, and then keep them as a long-term client um, and keep them in your books because they've seen you grow with them and there's a part of them I think that almost feels like a parent because they they had the faith in you when you weren't the best you know I look back on some of the pictures I took even for Patron especially and I think man Stephanie was so nice to keep me around because some of these were crap I mean but then I got better with time and then she put me on with the race team and all of a sudden, I'm shooting racing, and but those race pictures were like paintings to me in my mind. Like that's how I sort of saw things. Sometimes was the same way I would lay out a picture on a piece of paper, or you know, diagramming a, a head of hair. So th- th- it's a long way to get to the point of there. Th- those creative things all go together. It's like I said, cooking and photography, and you know, sh- uh, there's all these different things that um, you know kind of all don't seem like they maybe make sense, but I think if you really think about them, they kind of do because. If you're a creative, it's sometimes hard to explain to non-creatives our mindset. Um, You know, Luca and I always joke about creative naps, which people, like, go with a bunch of crap. And I'm like, it's true. Like, sometimes you get an idea in your head and you want to, like, just take a 30 minute and let it fester in your mind. So it's a creative person thing, I think, is one of the reasons I can jump around maybe more so than other people because... People tend to jump business to business, but they do tend to stay in that lane of whatever they did in the one business, they jump to another business and do the exact same thing where for some odd reason, I seem to jump industry. Um, Now, with
0: you, do you think that people are born creatives or do you think it's something that people can tap into? Because I think a lot of listeners out there are like, well, maybe, maybe I don't feel as creative and what could be that, you know, what could be some things that I could do in my life that would help me to start down that creative path.
1: Um
0: or is it even possible? Should or should we just tell them, look, you're not no, <laughs> it I mean, ain't I, gonna happen. No,
1: there's definitely there's definitely blessed talent. That is something that is for real. I've seen it with my own two eyes. Um who's
0: the most talented person you've ever seen? Like Luca. Luca? And I Luca, I, Luca is gangster.
1: Luca is um and I hope he understands when I say this, this is a compliment. He is an artistic savant. Um, it drove us nuts as kids. I, I went to an elementary school where there was four of us that were pretty competitive drawers, and it just, like, slowly, you just saw him pull away from the pack, like, Prefontaine in a race or something. You know, he just, and he was always a few steps ahead. Even if we started out, like, I was the first one to get an airbrush. Um, you know, I picked up an airbrush, started messing with it. Luca got wind that I had. it. We were really competitive at the time, and Um,
0: sidebar for Tom too he's super humble with this too if you see his airbrushing techniques when he was like I paint a little bit he doesn't paint a little bit this guy is on the top level I mean when you see some if you look on his Instagram which we'll have the link for you if you look on there there'll be some pictures where he's airbrushed uh, faces airbrushed I mean this guy is on top level so when he's talking about Luca being a savant that's coming from a Michelangelo complimenting somebody else
1: I appreciate that, but I will say this. I think I am a B artist. I don't practice it enough to even have gotten to the A point. I think in elementary school I was an A-plus artist, and then I just degraded because I didn't stick with it. But Luca, any medium you gave him, he would just master it in in a way that was sort of frustrating at times, but it also inspiring. Um, You know, it was interesting to see. I gave him clippers one day and said, you think he could cut a skull in the back of my head? Because he was he's really good at skulls. He did a lot of motorcycles and cars and artwork in general. And skulls are one of his things he's just really, really good at. So he takes the clippers out, turns them. And he's used clippers before. It's not like he's foreign to clippers. But he's never designed anybody. And within a minute, he's back there. He's like, oh, I got it. Zzzz, and he's got a skull on the back of my head. And it's like... His sister is a photographer, and she gets frustrated with him because she's like, I'll give him the camera, and he'll come back with these crazy pictures. And I said, just change the settings, and he won't be so good. I said, if you set him up to win, Luca takes amazing pictures because he has that eye. Um, so he's the most talented person that I've ever been around um, from an artistic side of the coin. Uh, you know. And he's just – he's a talent that I, I also think has not been um, – utilized enough i think there's a lot of people out there that you know i think as artists sometimes that's the other thing is we're not good at promoting ourselves we don't do good at asking people for money for our work um, or to raise our prices or how to raise our prices or how to um, generate more income because we don't want to scare our clients off because we're so proud that they like our artwork um, it's different than making a t-shirt in a factory and nothing wrong with that but if, if you work at a company that sells shirts and somebody who doesn't want it returns it doesn't hurt as much as somebody coming back in and saying they didn't like the color that you did on them or that they think all your photos are shit because the lighting was wrong or something like that. And it, it stings a little differently.
0: Uh, That's why you just need a friend like me that is your Don King and saying that anyone out there, seriously, like I, I had uh, uh, Tom and I'm very fortunate because you're my friend. But I remember the time where we just, you were like, hey, I just want to take some pictures. Uh, Can you grab a couple outfits? And you took some outfits, man. I mean, there were some of the coolest pictures uh, for me that I've ever had taken in my entire life. And and some of the most meaningful, one of the ones which had the hat that I got the day after my mom passed and the glasses that she had bought for me at a garage sale that ended up being, uh, you know, a, a pair of glasses that she bought for a dollar at a garage sale in Texas. And they ended up, I looked them up after years of having them and Snoop Dogg's wearing them. You know, they're $1,000 glasses she got for a dollar, but she got them at a garage sale. But they don't mean anything to me because they're 1000 bucks. They mean something to me because they're from my mama. But you took and captured that picture and there's pain too. Like, if you see the picture and we'll we'll I'll, I'll, I'll post the picture on my Instagram today and that had so much pain. You Like, you captured the emotion. So, like... I believe that people that are artists like you and creatives like you need to have someone that is your friend that's like, this guy is the greatest. I mean, seriously, you've been talking about Patron and NBA just like, like you work at Sears. You know what I'm saying? Um, let's go back to NBA weekend. I want to go back to that first one. Mm-hmm. Eddie tells you, stick with me, guy. Mm-hmm. I got you. Yep. Tell me the first freak out moment. Besides the fact that you walk in with your Nikon from Costco and the bag that comes with it, any mom out there that has bought a camera the the, the one you know the one that he's talking about because you probably have it in your cabinet um, so he rolls in with the Costco bag with the Nikon Eddie tells you I got you give me the freak out moment Tom when you when you walk in whether you see a person you see a situation take us through that
1: so the 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 lucky part of the NBA All Star Weekend that when I first started shooting it was they had jam session, which was in a convention space. So it was a, a big convention area with all the sponsors, and they had meet and greets and player appearances. Um, Who are some of the players the first during year, this time? Whew, first year is tough to remember, to be honest. I mean, the the I had a really good weekend because I'll be honest with you, they they protected me or they protected themselves by putting me in very safe situations. So I literally spent probably 80% of my time on the NBA fit court with the kids. So they had clinics for the kids, there was minimal player appearances, I honestly don't even remember that first year. Um, I do remember though, like seeing like the Dwight Howard and Kevin Hart and those guys that first year, but I grew up lucky to be around some of the the pirates because my uncle worked for the pirates so I had some opportunities to be around those athletes and they were really nice to me and they treated me great and I sort of lost and it's not a obviously I'm, I'm really impressed with their ex- what they do um but I I tend to I, ha- I didn't overly geek out and I think part of that also came from being a hairdresser and having some some big names in my chair um you know, I think that actually helped me a lot to be around them because I, I knew the hairdress in the hair world those celebrities would sit down and they were impressed at what we did. You know, they were really curious how we could do what we do, and we would just wanted to talk to them about their latest movie. And they're like, "Oh, this is so cool that you cut hair." And it's like sometimes you had that interesting connection, and you realize they're just people that happen to have a pretty cool job. Um, but the moment that made me think that I was never going back um, wasn't until the game, because back to my friend Eddie who had for the whole weekend, pretty <laughs> much kept me in line. We went and shot all day, shot the kids having fun. You know, the um, NBA Cares thing was probably my favorite with the kids with some challenges. Their smiles and emotion was the thing that really made me love that weekend, even though we were on our feet shooting all day, and um, I didn't know how to upload anything. I did get yelled at by the the Penguins guy to um, <laughs> learn how to do some – captioning on the pictures, but again Eddie was like, Don't worry about it. I got you. I uh, got you. So we he's like, hey, we're gonna go eat dinner. We're gonna go to the game. We're not assigned tonight. Just bring your long lens. We're gonna have some fun. I said, okay. So we get to the stadium, we get in, we have our credentials, no big deal. We're fine to go in. We've did it every year. It's not a problem. It's not like we did anything illegal or anything like that. We just go in and sit up on the upstairs or whatever. But we did shoot. So we walk into the, you know, the concourse, you walk in on that middle level. So you'd walk in and you're in the middle of the arena, so to speak. So we come into the corner, and he's like, all right, let's go down below. He's like, let's go down and shoot some of the pregame on the court. And I'm sitting there, and I'm taking a picture of um, the guys warming up, and I can remember Kobe Bryant going through the frame and him just doing like a, like a windmill layup or something like that. And I have this little picture of it, and then 10 seconds later, I, I feel a tap on my shoulder. Who are you shooting for? And I said, oh, the NBA, because, you know, I went to the NBA press room earlier, so I was all proud of myself. I'm like, shoot with the NBA. He goes, uh, you're not supposed to be down here. He's like, get off the floor. And I was like, okay. And I glanced, and I saw his name tag said Joe Amati, so I remembered it, and uh, I go back up, and I meet up with Eddie, and he's up above, having a blast, talking to the security guards. They're now best friends, like my mom in the grocery store. Um and he goes, What happened? He goes, You everything all right? And I was like, I don't know. I got kicked off the floor. He goes, by who? And I said, I don't know. It's Joe Amati. And <laughs> Eddie's face turned white. Um, and if you know Eddie Machete, Eddie is not white. So <laughs> when he did that, I was like, uh oh. He's like, Well, Joe's our boss. So weekend ends, it was a great time, finish everything up. I think I'm never gonna hear from him again. Following year, happens all over again. I get to go back. Um, talked to Joe about the whole situation and he was he laughed and he was like, No, he goes, We just get too many people down below. But when you're so new and it's such a big thing and there's celebrities everywhere at that point, I'm down below and you know, there's little Wayne's down there and there's all these people and I'm I'm not starstruck, I'm just sort of impressed with the the glamour of the situation and uh and then to feel like it might get all ripped away so quickly, I was like, Oh, what a dumb mistake. Um and it's not like it was Eddie's fault or anything like that. Like he, I didn't have to – I mean, I just went down there. But Joe laughed because it was not a big deal. Um, It was just a matter of I wasn't supposed to be down there. And then years go by, and every year Joe started to give me better assignments and um, cooler assignments. And I'll be honest, I I never really – I think because when you – the one that made me the most nervous was when they assigned me to the backstage, I think, and I was behind the scenes while the players were being introduced to the court – um, they're all back there chopping it up, sitting on the, the stuff in the back of the house, and, like, I have a picture of one of my favorites, and I probably should send it to them because I know they were such good friends, but just this cool picture of Paul Gasol and Kobe sitting there talking, and they're just talking backstage, and then I got a picture of, like, Kevin Durant and a couple of the guys talking, and it was just cool, but it was I felt really out of place back there a little bit just because of these are the, the biggest 25, 30 guys on the planet, and... I'm back there, just me, and it's my responsibility to get these pictures. And at the same time, part of me wants to just be talking with them, just like they are. Like I was, part of me felt like, well, I'm just one of you guys. If, if you knew me better, you know I was just like you. I was a, I was a, I was an athlete too, and I could jump into this conversation and talk the same trash. But, you know, then, the coolest moment ever back there was, a, I was kind of wound up and a little nervous, and I'm standing there, and so I'm looking back out at the court because there's some time to go, and I feel this shadow come up beside me on the right. What camera is that? And I looked to my right, and I said, oh, it's, and I said they're Nikons. And uh, he goes, oh, I, I, shoot, I shoot Canon, and it was Kevin Durant. And for the next few minutes, we just talked cameras. We didn't talk basketball. We didn't talk any, And he had legit questions about photography, and he was really into it at that point. And uh, it, it really solidified the fact that these guys are just people, especially if you can catch them in a space that's not conducive to them having to be on. You know, no. when they're when they're in the meet and greet, they still have to be a little bit on. But when they're behind the scenes, you really get to see their true personality. People ask me all the time, like, who did you love? Who did you not love? And it really came down to the behind-the-scenes behavior and ultimately how they treated the kids. Um, because there was a lot of them that couldn't wait to be done with their assignment, their signing session. And then there was others that were, they would stay until they got everybody taken care of. You know, much like John Paul DeJoria, who I'm assuming a lot of people out there know that name for sure. Yeah. And at his gathering every year, didn't matter if there was 1,000 attendees or 10,000 attendees, when he met them and had his little greet line, he did every single person. And it was his pleasure. And, you know, I thought um, being able to see these guys in a different light was kind of interesting, you know, because people all the time go, oh, I love so-and-so. And I'm sitting there in my mind going, oh, I hate that dude. Um, and maybe I'm wrong. I might have only had one bad interaction with him, and I'm chalking that whole thing up to him. And that's where talking about people's relationships and friends. You kind of have to give people more than one chance when you meet somebody to really see if their personality is good or bad because you could snap to judgment on somebody. I could have just quickly been like, I don't like this, this dude with the pink hair and, you know, all this nonsense. He did have pink hair, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> if you did not know that, he looked like it was, a, a troll doll and a bubble bubble-ish had a kid.
0: It was a bad decision. Like I and saw, it was dude, I saw Flea. I saw Flea. And I, I had seen the, the concert, and I was like, man, Flea's got some pink hair. And I did the pink hair, and I didn't look like Flea at all, at all. Mm. I did look like a troll. This was a, a very tough time in my life, and I'm glad that you brought it back up because now i got to go to therapy oh. when we're done today.
1: I mean, we all made poor very, um, very poor poor. hair, facial hair, and as Kamala will attest, wardrobe decisions during our heyday. The duster the jacket. Um, Custo Barcelona shirt, yes. shout out to Custo with the hey, extra, extra Custo, mediums, Custo. <laughs> short, hey, short sleeves and extra medium shirts that help, help me us. with
0: this though, man, you seem to always put yourself around phenomenal people. Like, and it, it, it really is. It's, it, it's a testament to, I believe who you are and your character. And it's like you and I hadn't talked in probably, I mean, outside of my dad's, uh, celebration of life, we hadn't seen each other in probably a year and a half, two years.
1: Yes, and, that COVID time.
0: Okay, so it was during those times, right, year and a half, two years. My dad's celebration of life comes through. We don't really get a chance to connect, but you come through and you take some phenomenal pictures. Then we get on the phone, and when we got on the phone, it was like we hadn't stopped talking. Like, we had been talking every single day. Like, what is it about you that you keep putting because there's certain people that are really cool, but then they put themselves around some boneheads. You're around great people all the time, man. Every friend that I meet through you is a solid guy. Is this intentional?
1: Well, obviously, I think you like to think that you cut out the people that aren't, necessarily the ones that gel with you the most.
0: Do Um, you do it on purpose though? Like when people say that, like I I love the, the, the quotes, right. And the, I'm in the personal development world now. And like the quotes that, you know, people are like you're the sum of the five people that are closest to you and get toxic people away and you got to cut them off. And you got to do stuff. And I'm like, if I cut off every person I thought was toxic, I would not talk to anyone because everyone I've been toxic at times. And, but people gave me grace. The NBA gave you grace That was Stephanie with Patron gave you grace. You were able to work through. So like for me, if I was to listen to just those quotes, then I would have been cutting people out all the time and I would have missed a lot of great
1: opportunities, right? You know, I think it really comes down to, I guess, I let things slide a lot, you know, and whether that's good or bad. Like um, even in my relationship you know there's times where if there's difficulty i'm okay with just moving on pretty quickly and not letting it bother me too much so i think if somebody has an awkward personality characteristic or says something for the most part i i I, I try to give them a second like an opportunity to sort of maybe do that and see if that's really who they are and i think that really comes from the celebrity aspect where people have an opinion on a celebrity they met one time um, and you really can't judge somebody on that one little interaction. So you kind of have to give everybody that sort of celebrity treatment and go, okay, y- you don't know. I mean, I remember, um, I can't think of his name from Paul Mitchell, but telling a story about how he was driving somewhere and there was a person, or he was driving like a maniac. Um, people were, like, getting upset with him because of the way he was driving, but they didn't realize that his son was in the back seat sick. And he was trying to get to the hospital. So he was driving a little more aggressive than probably the police would appreciate, but... In his opinion, it was what needed to happen in that moment. Um, so anybody that was on the road with him probably was like, that guy's an asshole. But if you knew him, you know that's not true. Um, so maybe the next time you see him, it's a whole different experience. So, you know, with people, um, you know, luckily I have been exposed to a lot of great people. Um, you know, coming from my family, you know, my, um, my dad worked for a gentleman named Floyd Ganassi, who that name might ring to some people because of CHIP. Uh, Chip's Floyd's son, and Chip owns, you know, a large chunk of all the racing now. Um, But Floyd was such a cool business guy because Floyd was, you know, a a super successful businessman in Pittsburgh, had this sand and gravel company my dad was working for. But every day when they would go to lunch, if they went to McDonald's, Mr. Ganassi got a Happy Meal. And my dad would say, you know, Floyd, you know, you can afford to get whatever you want. He goes, yeah, but it's got what I want in it. It's got a cheeseburger, fries, a small drink, and he goes, i get a toy. So, in Mr. Ganassi's opinion, that's all he needed, and he, was, he never treated anybody, and it's the weird thing is is that I saw a lot of Mr. Ganassi's behavior because of Chip's racing. Mr. Ganassi would take us to the races, myself and my dad, and we would walk around the races with him, and Mr. Ganassi always had a camera, and he took pictures of people, whether that w- he would walk by and he would see you and Brooklyn, hey, Brooklyn, Kelly, good to see you guys get together, let me get a picture, and you know, he would take all these pictures in the film days, and he treated everybody the same, um, and there was. A, it's another one of those places where you have mechanics and you have fans who are scraping every last dollar together to go to that race, and then you have people that own the team, so you have millionaires down to whatever, and it didn't matter to Mr. Ganassi. They were all the same to him, and I, and I think that's somebody that I, I can point to and say I definitely took a lot of that from him um and i know that i he never saw me shoot photography as a racing person chip has chip uh, i ran into chip at daytona and went up to him and said hey do you remember me and he was like yeah tom o'connor and i was like yeah And, and so we had a few minutes to chat together i mean he's super busy with what he's doing but you know i i remember my dad um and those races and seeing him um, interact with all these people. Go back to Pittsburgh with my dad and develop all these pictures and mail them out to all those people individually. You'd get a med- you'd get a letter in the mail from Mr. Ganassi. Here's your photos from Michigan, you know. And if you saw him at the next race and you didn't get a picture, hey, Mr. G, what happened? I didn't get a picture last race. Give me, a you know. And it was his thing, and I think that's where I saw that relationship built with the camera and being able to just walk up to somebody and say, Hey, mind if I g- can I get you guys together for a little picture, you know and it's it's nervous at first, you know. You, you don't want to interrupt people's conversations, you d- but maybe it's because you're afraid you're going to take a bad picture. Once you get your settings right and you feel better about it, then all of a sudden it's like, all right, guys, let's get a little team photo together. I best smile wins. You know, Kelly's got the prizes. You start to have a little more dialogue, and I had my dialogue quicker because of you know being a hairdresser, and I got my hairdressing dialogue quicker, I think, because of my parents and them being open to us trying whatever we wanted to do. We had a college education, so they knew we had something to go back to. But they definitely encourage that creative side of us to allow us that freedom to be whatever personality we needed to be. And, you know, I I don't want people to ever think it's fake if I am talking to one person one way and then I switch the conversation to the person to my right and I have a whole different conversation, maybe even a different tone. It's not me being fake with them. It's just I, I feel like I do have sort of multiple personalities in terms of talking to different people from different parts of the country or different countries for that matter.
0: So when you're looking at and, and when you, uh, I don't know if you notice this, and for those of you out there watching, you see it. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you. If you're watching on Spotify, thank you. Um, every time Tom talks about uh, photography, his, his whole countenance changes. Um, if you notice that, like, and I want you to watch back in the video, like, you, you sit up different, you smile different. When you start talking about photography, it's, it's incredible. Help us to understand, because a lot of people, especially in the technology days today, a lot of people, and I'll joke with my, uh, you know, my, my brother, who's one of the uh, best videographers I've ever seen in my life. He's a storyteller. He's a movie. Uh, like he, he's just awesome. a, he's phenomenal, Brad Dunn. Shout out, Brad. And Brad sees things through a camera different than I see things. Can you take us into the eye of what I, what I believe one of the best photographers in the world, in you? Take us through that eye and practically apply for the people out there listening or watching like, what you see and why your pitcher, not to say that because they see this, their picture is going to be so much better than yours or the same, but you've always been a person who's willing to just, you know, what are, the, what are some of the mistakes that I make because I'm taking a pitcher and I grab my phone and I, I grab my phone I grab a camera and I take a pitcher. What are the top three mistakes that I make that if I just shifted them, I would see a completely different result?
1: Kind of like in baseball, don't think, just swing. So for one thing, people don't want to, like, take a picture. Like You've got to sometimes go to the place that doesn't make sense. So the, the common way to think of it is if you go on a, someplace where there's a famous statue and you look at the crowd and 99% of the crowd is standing right in front of the statue taking the exact same picture of the statue with the building behind it, there will be one person who goes maybe behind the statue and takes it really low from a different angle. Um and those are the ones that catch your eye. But, I mean, ultimately, it's whatever your eye likes. Now, some people's eyes are shit. That's true. <laughs> um,
0: if you're I mean, one yeah. of those people, don't do, don't uh, do not just do. You need to think about it, like, right? Yeah. I does, think, does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I mean, the people think that now, especially with technology, they can sort of take a blank picture and, just and, and manipulate it into what they were thinking maybe. Okay. Um, you know, it was kind of like the...
0: Well, one of the things that before we started in, you looked and you were like... I'm in the thirds. Now I know what you're talking about. Can you break that down? Like, like you were explaining it to. I mean, because this is this is mind blowing that you because you you have mastered an art and you've mastered many arts. And this with this uh, marketing director position, um, driveway auction. You should thank this dude every single day that he's with you guys because you're in the midst of greatness. And I know that you guys know this, and this isn't, like, he didn't tell me to say this, but what I'm saying is I've known this dude for 20 years, and I've watched him master every single thing that he did and play at such a crazy level. Help us with the thirds thing. Break this down.
1: So, it's like a lot of things, things tend to be more pleasing to the eyes in threes. So, for the most part, when you're looking at a picture, if you lay a tic-tac-toe board on top of that picture, you generally, with video you want those uh, the eye line to be on that top line which is the top third Um, and you work within those lines I mean and it's not a hard and fast rule but you'll definitely notice if you watch tv you know you start to look at things and you go oh yeah I see what they were talking about and I have only noticed it over the last few years as I've started to move a little bit into video because of the way photography's changed you kind of need to do both um, because video is becoming so important so I'm still learning so I mean anybody out there that's into video please don't hold me a 100% accountable for this, but there definitely are, there's ways that you can look at, um, there's the famous spiral, um, I can't think of the name of it right now, but it kind of looks like a seashell, and that spiral, you can sort of lay that on a picture, and you look at sort of very, you look at two pictures, and one's a ladybug in the lower left corner, and there's dew on the grass and everything, and it's really cool looking, and the other one, the ladybug smack in the middle, and you're like, okay, it's a good picture, it's sharp, it's in focus, whatever, but it's just not as exciting, it doesn't sort of do anything for you, and it's because our eyes see things, um, a lot of us do, not everybody, but we see things in a way that those edges tend to be more exciting to our eyes, and being able to lay a picture out in sort of not the traditional way. Now, there's times where super symmetrical is strong and powerful and looks awesome, and I have times where I like to do that too, um, but I definitely tend to lean on the, the weird angles, um, the odd ways of doing things, because I think that's what you can kind of develop a style, um, and people kind of go, "Oh, that's a Tom picture." Um, I don't think I have that a hundred percent, but I do think to some degree, there's definitely pictures that I can post, and people could flip through their Instagram without seeing my name. They probably have a guess that that was mine. Um, just like a couple, there's a couple guys that I work with at the races that, you know, as, as, as nice as you've been with the words as far as my level of photography, there's some guys that I look at and just I'm blown away by. The things that they do, and
0: um, when you're talking about the races, we talked about Patron top in the industry. We talked about the NBA, the pinnacle of basketball. What are the races that you're talking about, Tom?
1: So that was again, that was with Patron, okay. and they had a um, a car in the MSA series. So IMSA is um, a mixed breed of cars that race simultaneously on a timed race, not a lap race. So the races are two hours, seven hours, ten hours, twenty four hours. Um, Most laps wins. There's four different levels of competition, so you have the one level that's like BMWs and Corvettes and things like that, um, and then you have like Lamborghinis and Ferraris and another one, and then they have these um, prototype style cars, and we ran an LMP prototype, which was a Le Mans prototype, Um, so that was also the type of car they would use in France for the 24 hours over there, um, which was another opportunity I had with Patron to be over there um, at at that race, but it was with Michelin, not Patron, but these races, um, you know, they were interesting because they test you as a photographer because the track is going to be different every week, but the routine is identical. These guys are so systematic. The truck pulls up on Thursday. They unload the truck, you know, and Capone's taking out this part of the car, and Jared's over here, and he's doing the exact same thing every single week. So as a photographer, you know, you want your client to like what you do, so you have to find new ways to shoot the exact same thing and make it interesting for the people that are following us, um, as a race team and social media and things like that. So taking different angles of the guys, you know, shooting it with the, you know, you can shoot the same person five times with five different lenses and you're going to get five different pictures. Um, so I think that's something you start to learn and these races were fun, but then you're out on the track and, you know, I'm new to this whole thing and I don't know how to shoot some of this stuff. And so I'm trying to find that Eddie in the racing side of things that's going to help me out and going to take me under his wing and you know, be, be friendly to me and give me some advice, and it turned out there was a lot of those guys. Um, a lot of them were very helpful. You were in the corner with a guy, may not see him again the whole weekend, but if you had a question, hey, man, I'm, I'm in trouble getting this shot, what, what are your settings at? And trade some settings, oh, okay, cool, thanks, man, thanks, and walk away and, you know, see him in the media room and pr- say a thanks again, and, um, you know, the races were a lot of fun, and I, that's the probably the thing I miss the most of clients I've had and opportunities i've had that have come and gone maybe um you know i hear a car go by with a little souped up exhaust and i get a little twitchy <laughs> um and legitimately and i kind of get like a smidge like it'll go by and i'll kind of feel like i should have my camera ready and then it goes by and then i kind of have this little feeling of sadness that you know i don't get to shoot the races anymore but that might change i have talked to one of my friends who has it he's one of the lead mechanics with the team that you know, we might get together next season Um, which could get me back on the tracks again because those races were a lot of fun and uh, that opportunity and again you're around a lot of different people and with Patron there wasn't it wasn't just shoot the cars and leave I mean there there was VIP events and you're around their top people so you have to be professional and you have to be good at what you do and confident in what you do back to when we were talking about confidence you know in the, the first couple races I definitely wasn't confident inside but i had to pretend like i was outside because i'm shooting some of these drivers that i know or you know in the in the driver world you know as, as wealthy as the basketball players are the racing world is different you have a lot of people that come from money um and they come they their whole family comes from money so there's a lot of power in there and there's a lot of well be careful what you say around this person and to some degree and um you know, you just, you just know there's a different feeling around it, where with the NBA, you obviously have a lot of guys that they're the first big winner in their family or maybe the second if they're, a, you know, a junior or something like that. So there's a different vibe around it. So that, um, that area of the racing really helped me to sort of perfect the VIP experience, so to speak, and be really good at and, – and the salon helped too dealing with VIP clients in Mandalay Bay as the director when, you know, once you stepped away and I filled that role in, um, you know, the, those big clients, you had to treat them a certain way. And it wasn't always, it wasn't automatically treat them like something. Some of them wanted to be treated really normal. Um, other, but a lot of them do want to make sure people in the room know who they are. Um, and that's how the racing was. People, those drivers want you to know their driver, you know, and the owners want you to know they're an owner. Um, so the that was a great experience for me. They were exhausting weekends walking around the tracks with backpacks and bags and. Getting our <laughs> no, golf you didn't, carts you didn't have at, the you didn't have the Nikon three
0: thousand at the time. At, at that point, I
1: had upgraded. You so had at that point. You didn't I was, did, have
0: you kept the bag though. Do you have that I bag? Don't
1: have the bag. I sold the bag and the camera. I wish. And I you, wish. I still I had wish it. you would have
0: kept the bag.
1: Yeah, I know the bag.
0: The, the bag would have been. been so. How can a person too? This is this is a big thing because like with with you, it's I, I love it because. All of your success, and when I say success, I I want people to understand this, is I never speak, and for those of you who have listened to me before, I, I never speak about success in a monetary or a things kind of situation, although most of the time, a lot of times they coincide. But when I talk about success and the success that Tom has had, and he's a very humble guy, Tom reverences, and I, I think it's so cool, Tom, that you do. You reverence the whole recipe as opposed to the product. And because every time that I talk about Patron, you're like, well, it, 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 it started with my college. Then it, st- it went with Sergio. And then it went with Luca. And then it went with my dad. And then it went to Mandalay Bay. And then it went to Patron. And then it went to the NBA. And you're constantly reverencing back and forth. And you're reverencing all of the, the ingredients. What do you say to the kid out there that's like, yeah, 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 but can you just give me some advice on how to succeed now?
1: Be flexible, I think. <laughs> um, you know, I think the thing is is that, you know, the we were talking about the experience in a salon and how the mentality has shifted um, with, you know, my mom's generation and maybe my, my grandma. My grandma was the generation where you hid, didn't let anybody know you were going to get your hair done, right? You. People didn't talk about it. Oh, Viola gets her hair colored. It was like, whoosh, whoosh. you talked about people's hair color behind their back. And then my mom's generation, you know, our moms, they went to the salon because it was the place. It was the cool place to go. You know, I think some of it has to do with the lifestyle back then was a little slower. A lot of the moms were more stay-at-home moms. They dealt with the day-to-day kid life. Um and obviously that's an amazing job and it's a super important job and all i'm saying is that i think for them they saw the salon as a cool break in the in their routine and it was a faster pace they could go in there and oh i go in to go see this one guy but there's this crazy blonde dreadlock dude with a beard who's always talking about all these crazy things he wears 17 watches and there's there you know there's watches on his shoe tongues everywhere (laughs) Um, maybe he just doesn't know how to keep time, but he's really fun, and then there's this one guy, he's hilarious, and and the salon was a cool place to go to, and now this model has shifted, you know, I work with that my salon suites, and I'm seeing, and I was talking to all these people about how do your clients like this experience, and and I would ask the clients, and the clients love it, they love the calmness, they love the slowdown, and I think it's because our world has shifted and it's gotten faster, people like the opposite to be their experience, so now they're enjoying that opportunity to go into a salon and instead of it being chaos around them and my stylist has three clients at the same time and four assistants and there's there's a bunch of shit going on over here and there's this client's upset over there it's just me and my client I can detox I can relax Um, and that's changed very quickly you know I think COVID helped shift that mentality a lot Um, I think it was headed that direction anyway kids are more in the I can do it um, you know, but I think you have to, as far as that question goes, with, with a young person that wants to get into anything, I think get into it as fast as humanly possible. You don't have to go the old slow ways because there's opportunities to not get, beef up your knowledge with YouTube. And if you said to somebody when you're talking to an employer, well, I've spent, you know, 400 hours on YouTube researching this specific skill set, they're no longer going to laugh at that. You know, maybe five, ten years ago, they might have been like, um, great, you're educated from YouTube, big deal. It's like saying you, you got your degree from Wikipedia. Um, but I think with nowadays, that's a, a viable source of information. And I've taught myself a lot of these skills that I have now via YouTube, especially this last year with the marketing thing. You know, so I'm sorry, driveway, but YouTube's been helping me out a lot. Um, you know that's been a great resource and being able to adapt as quickly as possible as things change um, I think is the most important thing and also talk to some people in that industry at different levels you're going to talk to an old schooler that's going to tell you to do it the old school way then you're going to talk to somebody that's maybe in the middle that's going to recommend a little bit of both and then you're going to talk to somebody that's super successful that's the exact same age in you that goes you don't need to do any of that just you know start doing it but you know in some fields especially like in the hair industry I would uh, I'd be very cautious to recommend to somebody to go straight into an individual situation you have zero experience you're just potentially going to get yourself into trouble probably a good a good industry to maybe go and do some time with somebody with experience photography grab a camera and start lighting it up um, just find somebody that'll let you shoot them somebody will start to pay you and then you can just kind of do it you know find your style pick up a camera try some different like i I picked up my camera, and I carried it everywhere. It drove people nuts in the beginning. And then all of a sudden, the camera became invisible. Um, People didn't notice that I had it, but they liked that I took the pictures. And then if I didn't bring it, it became, oh, you didn't bring your camera. And I'm like, yeah, I took the night off. You know, I didn't want to take pictures every night. But that's how I learned how to take sly pictures. And, you know, my catchphrase is caught you not looking because my favorite way to take a picture of somebody is them not paying attention and actually liking the photo of themselves because so many people are so – Brutal when they, I, I have a rule: if if you're gonna ask me to look at the pictures I just took of you, and if you're gonna talk shit to my camera about yourself, you're not allowed to look, because so many people look at my, oh, I look terrible. Oh, I'm so gross. I don't, I look hideous. And part of you takes that personal, like it was my fault. But I know ultimately that's them with their own personal issues. And a lot of times it's the people that you can't even believe they're complaining. You're like, you have nothing to complain about. But somehow they see every mistake because the temperature of the world right now is let me take 60 selfies, pick out the best one and post it. You know, because we're, we're all chasing perfection, especially when our, it comes to our, our individual appearance and our profile pictures and our avatars and all these things. And, um, you know, so I think uh, that becomes a challenge for a lot of people um, to get through that. And uh, I lost a little bit of train of thought there. But, you know, I think – ultimately what were we talking about again well i mean you were you were
0: talking about getting out there and you know if you're a, a photographer yeah, you're going to do oh yeah you're yeah. going to do, do, do it you're going to get yeah, out, so and, just do get it. out
1: there and do it. there's, there's going to be something you can take a picture of you know i i didn't know what i was going to be good at with photography i thought i was going to try to get into like avant because of my hair background avant garde nonsense and crazy you know steve mcqueen or not mcqueen um, Alexander McQueen style, mm-hmm. like craziness, you know, and David LaChapelle. But then it seemed like, oh, I'm good at events. I'm really good at events where I take pictures of people. Um, ah. And it comes to the relationship. That found me. Like in hair, long blonde hair found me. I wanted to be the crazy hair cutter and use a carving comb and cut an innie bob and an Audi bob and do all those things like you were showing me how to do. And um, I know that made zero sense to a lot of people, but it's fine. Um you know, but um, you just have to kind of gr- grind at it and play with it and, and just find something to take a picture of and shoot it. And then, okay, all of a sudden you'll figure out what you're good at because people will start to like those pictures. You know, I noticed all those blonde girls kept coming back to my chair because I was apparently good at making hair blonde and I kept it long. Um, so those crazy haircuts didn't fall into my lap as much. So I was like, okay, I guess that's not my thing.
0: Uh-huh. When, you, when you're looking around, like, because there's companies all over, uh, you know, North, we're in North County, San Diego, one of the most beautiful places in the world. When you look around at some of the companies there are, like, what do you see that they're missing by not utilizing your skill, right? And because I, I see it, you know what I'm saying? Like, if, if when we have an, I'm, I'm very fortunate, We had my my dad's celebration of life, and and I didn't know that you were coming, but I felt like when you walked in, I felt so safe. And I knew that I was going to get things that I never would have saw. Speak to the companies out there that sometimes don't even know. They don't know what they don't know.
1: Yeah, I think they sometimes have gold in their events that they don't ever see. Um, Things that happen, you know, expressions on people's faces that, tell them exactly how much people appreciated that event that they were attending that maybe the, the big bosses they're not always in the room they're never in the room you know at these corporate events I do all these breakout sessions and they don't see how their employees are behaving um, now I've seen all types of behavior I remember walking around a room and you know it was sort of in the candy crush days and I'd walk around the room and there'd be a hundred people taking a class that from what I could hear wasn't super exciting but it had to be done it was a training session it was something like that and half the people are on their phones checking their emails doing different things playing candy crush like checking their facebook and not paying attention but then i've seen other ones where people are 100 engaged they're smiling they're laughing you know and then for the for the company owners to see that you know they may not see that without having somebody there to document it whether it's a still photographer or a videographer um you know it, it's it kind of goes to the, the case of the bride and how much do you want to spend on your wedding and I don't do a lot of weddings because they're um, they're very stressful for everybody involved. Because most of the time, one of the two, if not both of the couple, are overly worried about non-essential details, um, so they're super stressed out, and then or they want to cheap out on their photography. And it's not to say like, yeah, you need to spend a fortune on your wedding photography, but I mean, even Camila would always tell me like, you need to charge a lot for a wedding because it's it's a lot of work and it's a lot of stress, and um, you know, so. For those wedding situations, um, you know, there's so much expectation on them, but people have these, like I said, these. They worry about the the wrong sorts of things, and it's not that big a deal. Um, that it's not going to be. Um, it's just things that you don't need to worry about. So, so you're saying every honestly, like
0: and it's shifted, but every every corporate event, and I never realized this, and I wish that I would have understood this. Because we had so many corporate events that we did not document. You're saying every corporate event that a company has, they should have a person with an eye to be able to capture their crew, not only just from a, wow, I got a good picture, but also you could tell a lot about your company and
1: your culture. Yeah, because I think when if, if I was going to show a client, if somebody said to me, hey, show me your portfolio, I would rather show a client one event, start to finish, of my work than... 20 best photos because any photographer that's been out there for a few years has 20 photos that they're probably pretty proud of and so we can enamor people and show them these great photos and go look how cool this was that I took 10 years ago but I think to show people that you can capture the story through photos or through a video now is probably probably even more more important to be um, with them people want they want it now they want to see and, pe- and people want to be part of the smaller things they want to know the details. I think like it's with podcasting with being able to talk to somebody for multiple minutes versus being on a TV show where the questions are pre-formed and there's only a few minutes you get to know more about a situation. So then all of a sudden the the bosses can look through the whole thing and they feel like they were there. Even if they were in boardrooms the whole time having big level meetings, they can see how much joy their people had and they can see the value in spending millions of dollars on the you know I have a couple events coming up in October that I know these companies are spending millions of dollars on these events with thousands of attendees um, and they have me there to capture that experience and I have to you know do my best to cover all the different aspects of the event so when it's all said and done they can look at that and they can see what actually happened there you know and that's the thing I like to get is you want the people smiling and you know Joe Amadi, the guy that tapped me on my shoulder was big on you know, get their faces, you know, get their faces, get the sponsor, you know, if there's a celebrity there with a kid, make sure you get both of them, and then if there's a logo in the background, that's the trifecta, so getting that stuff that they can then utilize in marketing and social media, so then you have to think about, maybe I need to take this, p- this picture looks really cool, but I bet I could take it in a way that they could use this now, you have to think about would they use this on Instagram, should I think about it in a square format, the way I lay out my picture now? Or are they going to use this in marketing and want a whole bunch of space off to the side to put a logo over here? So maybe I should lay my picture out a little bit differently. So you shoot these events and you can create amazing content for businesses that they can't get with just a cell phone. You can get amazing things with a cell phone. And I think the the very natural videos that are walking through the office and here's our team on the phone gives it a very real feel. Um, and I think those are very, very good. And Something that we're at, you know, with Driveway, I think we're trying to really push towards getting more content like that that's not just clean, crisp, classic advertising, but more stuff that lets people into us a little more. People want to be part of you. Um, They want to be part of your business. Especially now, people are very proud to represent the businesses they support. You know, people now take Instagram pictures of themselves waiting in line at the coffee carts because that's the hip thing to do. Somebody made waiting in line cool. How, I don't know. (laughs) Um, But it's one of those things where, you know, so then you have to just help these businesses understand that there still is value in having professional photography there. We do. I'm going to an event where we're going to do headshots for the whole company. Um, So we're going to have four backdrop setups, four different photographers. We're going to shoot headshots for all their attendees because that's quick and easy they'll have some consistency with it. Now, a lot of the event, can they get it with their phones? Yeah, they will. You know, a lot of times, you know, you take a picture – The second my flash is even cooling down, somebody's handing me a phone to take the exact same picture, which I know they're going to post. They're never going to see mine, but I hope that the owners do and the bosses do and those people see the the effort that I put into making their event look cool by taking artsy pictures of these things and trying to capture it in a way that's more interesting than just documenting it from a very sort of step-by-step process of their event, but more of a a movie-style experience of their event with just different types of emotions conveyed through the imagery. Um, but that's where now I have to learn a little bit more of the video so I can get that same connection with people that I'm getting with still stuff, but with video and pulling that out of them because it's a different animal, 100%, with um, playing to people and getting them to be comfortable in a camera that they know is rolling. Um, that's a whole different thing.
0: Well, I, I uh, everyone out there out there listening or watching has complete confidence in it if you've been through this journey with us through this podcast because when Tom started off with and when he was talking about driveway auction and he was talking about them he's the marketing director and he was like I don't know what that is but I'll figure it out I don't know what photography is but through the NBA and Patron and some of the top races in the world I'll figure it out and I think that that's the coolest thing, man. I mean, I, I think that it's so amazing that you have that ability and you give yourself, again, the permission and you have the confidence. And it's not an overabundance like a, a arrogance. It's just a side of saying that and that, that humility. Let's go into this part of it because I think a lot of times I see people su- uh, succeed in their professional realm and they master what they do. And then I watch them in their personal life, and a lot of times their personal life suffers because they are so focused on their professional life. With you, it's a, it's quite a bit different. And the example that you've been able to show with, with Kamala and with the kids, Ben, I mean, because you're, like, you're in probably one of the toughest spots that any man could be in, meaning you're a stepdad. Like, you're in that role, you know, as the, uh, you know, stepping in and... You, But the connection point that you have is so amazing and your example is so amazing. How have you been able to bridge that part of it? Because not, I mean, that's an art in itself and not many people are able to do it with the grace that you do. Um,
1: yeah, it's definitely a... a because
0: when you, when you talk about Rex and Rowan, like when you talk about them, like you light up, like it comes from your heart. You know what I'm saying, like, and you're you're connecting with them on a completely different level than I see most of the time. Uh, a, a person who, you know, with Camila, Camila having two children, you guys getting together, a lot of times the 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 new boyfriend, husband, whatever it is, they have the tendency to take the back seat, and they're like, "Hey, these ain't my kids." But I don't see that with you.
1: No, and I think you can't do that. I think if you're going to be in that situation, you do have to be all in on it and I it's definitely unique it's a situation that's sometimes hard to explain to people that are you know even with with Kamala sometimes like she's their blood she I mean she 100 percent is the mother that you would want your kids to have to you know she's strong with work and she's great with you know leading them and she's very um, honest with them she's very um, you know quick to apologize if she isn't Speaking to them the way she sh- felt like she should have, you know, and I, I try to let her sort of lead the you know because ultimately they t- their father's still part of their lives and she's the the mother, so a lot of that I allow them to sort of not allow that sounds horrible. Um, you know they <laughs> take uh, that Kamala. <laughs> no, but they I like to sort of where does she want to go with the direction of the of the parenting, so to speak? And there's times where she's like, you're, you're the one that's home alone. You can make the parenting call on that. But if it's certain other things that are maybe a little more high level, that conversation does sometimes happen between her and, and their father. Um, and so you you do feel like, but I've been around them for so long. Um, you know, Rex was one and a half and Rowan was about five and a half um, when I came into their, to their lives, and it's been almost 10 years now. And um, it's been fun to watch them grow and develop and become – you know, these – you know, Rowan especially has been really exciting lately because he's really getting into water polo, and he's taking it serious, um, and he's, he puts in the work. You know, he's going to the gym now with his buddies, and, you know, he's getting up and going to the practice. That's an 8.30 practice, but there's an optional 8 o'clock, and, you know, he's there. Um, does his homework without being told, and he's like – he's that kid that you just go, that's all her. You know, that's 100% her doing. Um, that comes from her, her father, um, who's one of the most amazing guys I've ever been around. Um, you know, and I can see every day more and more of him and her, um, in terms of her behavior, her meticulousness to detail, her ability to, um, just get shit done. Um, and not just, you know, the, the moms are super moms. I mean, sometimes you, do, like you give the mom and the dad the same exact schedule, And chaos will ensue on the dad's side because (laughs) a couple things will get out of whack and you you went to the wrong pool to pick the kids up at and all, it's just a mess. And like the other night, she's making the schedule for the week. I think, you know, you know the situation. We have junior guards going on. So the kids are at the beach and then Rowan's got water polo and Rex has flag football practice and we both have work and she's got a meeting and being able to juggle all that stuff, um, you know, is impressive. And so it it makes you humble as a a step-parent to feel like you know you you can contribute and and be part of that situation you know i like to um you know i'm the i'm the chef of the family so to speak so i like to be the, the one that cooks and does all that stuff for the family and i contribute in that regard as far as that's one of my big things that i like to sort of think that i'm going to slowly teach the boys you know some of that that knowledge of how to be in the kitchen and how to be um you know be able to take care of yourself and but it is it is, a, it is a, a, a different animal to be um, not the blood parent but when you're around good kids and rex too like i mean rex has this magic to him that every single person says it like he's the kid that can punch you in the nuts and smile and you go it's okay it's a good punch <laughs> <laughs> it's <was> a good technique <laughs> you know like like wha- he just has this little charm to him and it's um you know he's one of the sweetest little kids and he's he's excited when he goes to play with s- his sports he's oh he's a great teammate and he's he he really wants to get better, especially with soccer. He's been working hard with that, and um, you know, so you you try to find the areas that you're you're good at to sort of shed some light on the kids with, and hopefully you know not end up with um, too much of the credit for their bad behaviors. Which you know I, I get it; like <laughs> they do some stupid things. I'm sure I'll I get the blame for it because I probably did influence that nonsense. But you know I it's fun to sometimes misbehave a little bit as a, as a kid and sort of do fun things. But, um, you know, it's, you just try your best to be as available as you can. You know, I, you know, I've always been a loyal person. So like Camilla knows that I'm there for her, for whatever she needs, like whether it's running around with the boys or whatever, if I can do it, I will. Um, you know, and, and those boys are the, the best. I mean, I love them both to death and they're, um, they're going to be a lot of fun to keep getting older. I mean, Rex and Maddox are basically the same age, mm-hmm. um, so we're going to see a lot of each other through the years of these guys kind of getting older, and they're still in that – st- like, Rowan's starting to turn that corner where he's starting to f- become a, a, a teenager. He's going to be a you know freshman in high school, so he's, he's starting to move out of that, like, little kid range. You know, Rex still is – you know, still has some of those little kid qualities, which as a parent, you know, you – You're excited to see them get out of it, but you don't – there's that selfish part of you that wants them to keep those sort of behaviors and those little things. Like Camilla loves that Rex – still wants to lay on the couch and, and watch movies and snuggle with her all night long. Like I think about it all the time. I'm like, how weird would that be if I said to my mom, Mom, you want to snuggle and watch a movie <laughs> <laughs> at 46? W- I'm sure my mom would probably think it was the oh, greatest Ms. thing Miss O'Connor would be like, in. Oh my God, that'd but, be Hey, amazing. Mr.
0: O'Connor would be like, get out of my but, way.
1: But like, she she's dreading the day that Rex retires that that thing. Yeah. You know, because Rowan has long since retired. That and he still sits with her sometimes, but not like the way Rex does. Like Rex needs his at least a little 30 minutes before bedtime with mom, you know. And, yeah. And I see that magic that she has with them that I know I'll never have ever. You'll never get to that level, and that's fine. I get it. Like, you're, I'm, I'm always going to be second place to her, which is fine. I, I deserve it because she's too incredible of a parent to, to not be fine with, you know, being the number two driver on the team, you know.
0: So talk to us, too, about uh, we, b- we both are in situations like this where we have very, very strong women, um, we have very, very amazing, strong women in our lives, and can you talk to the guys out there that, you know, maybe are in that relationship, or you know, how how do you navigate that? Because that can sometimes be challenging for a guy, and especially like, uh, you know, um, uh, trying to be a man, like what we grew up as, like you be a man, you suck it up, you do whatever, and then we have these strong women who, honestly, like. You know it, and I know it. Kamala could make it on her own. Brooklyn couldn't make it on her own. They allow us to be in their space. Um, I, I believe at some points they, they need us, right? They need, you know, there's parts of us that, that but for the most part, they could do it on their own. Um, how do you navigate that, and how do you, you know, like, because I, I think it's an ego thing too, right? Because a lot of times we'll think, like, you know, I've got to make myself seem like I'm needed, and honestly, like having a strong woman in your life is probably one of the greatest things in the world. But sometimes it can be challenging because you, you, you know, y- you want to feel needed as a man.
1: Yeah, I think when it comes to a lot of it, you just need to be proud and supportive. And, you know, I mean, she's, she's, um, she's been working with the same um, this guy, Mark, for years. Uh, you know, Mark Robertson. Of course. He's been on, yeah, he's, yeah. You've been on podcast yeah. with Mark. And, um you know, she basically said, "I'm going to hitch my wagon to Mark because I believe in the way he does business, and I've watched them grow as a company and change companies a couple times, and and succeed. and And as a just from a um, like a fan point of view, I mean, it's been amazing to see what they've achieved. I mean, I mean, COVID obviously was a very successful period of time for the, those people that were in the mortgage industry, and they had a great success. So, you know, that really made it extra hard on me as to see her succeed in such a high level um, and feel like I wasn't necessarily able to contribute. And some of it was just not me getting out there and putting my foot down. Some of it was just the opportunities weren't really there at the moment. Um, But, you know, you just have to be really proud of somebody. You know, you have to take away the male-female side of things and go, if you looked at this on paper, would you be proud of this person? Um, It doesn't matter that, you know, now we're in the relationship where, like you said, it's a traditionally, it's, you know, it, it might be tough to be, Um, the guy in a relationship that's maybe not the bigger success story. Um, you know, I think that's part of the thing with us is that right now she's the bigger success story by far. Um, yeah, I've had some awesome opportunities. I've done some great things with photography and with hairdressing and those types of things. But as far as what most people would view as successful, um, and without diving, I think people know what, what sort of what we're saying here is, you know, she's had a lot of success over the last few years. We were able to, you know, get a home um, that is mostly due to the fact that she's blossomed in this role that she's in and become such a part of this company that it's made me realize that with like with driveway, uh, um, you know, when Mike brought me on, I realized Mike's my mark. You know, Mike is somebody that, regardless, I, I can see myself working with. Um, to try to help him build these businesses um, that he has and be a part of it. And I, I I like being part of something that could potentially become bigger. Um, One of the things that I loved about Robert Cromien Salon when we got involved was it was big, but it wasn't biggest uh, it was going to get. And it was still growing. And we were, I was part of that culture growing and I could feel like, yeah, I helped make it become bigger. Um, You know, so with the, with, with her, you know, I want to be able to make myself, you know, she's taken, you know, our family business, so to speak, you know, me and her and the boys, um, and she's really made our business successful, um, and she's put up with me as the sort of um, the newbie employee in this situation, um, coming in from an outside perspective, and become part of the family, and become part of the boys' lives, and I want to be able to contribute as much as I can, whether it's emotionally, financially, you know, intellectually, whatever it is. Um, You know, so I think the more, um, you know, especially with, like I said, with driveway, the more, for me, that was the thing I said that gave me confidence. It really helped me to restore my place in life and feel like I was contributing to something. Um, And although it's not my company I didn't come up with the idea I own it like it is I want people to know that I work for a company that's a good company it's not a scam there's lots of bad opportunities out there with the automotive industry and it's it's nice to be proud of who you work for and um, you know so hopefully I can grow within this company and get to the point where um, you know her and I were going to be a lot closer in terms of that success stories of both of us. And, you know, hopefully in five or 10 years we look back and it's it's just a section of our lives where, you know, I wasn't succeeding as much as I, you know, I was trending upwards as a hairdresser. I was trending upwards as a photographer and then things sort of slowed down. And, you know, so then I kind of hit a lull and she really trended upwards. Um, so it's be supportive of that spouse, be, you know, available and understanding if they have to work late, you know, it never bothers me if she says, hey, I have to work a little later, is that okay, I mean, 100%, I mean, I I get it, like, it's sometimes that's the sacrifice you make to succeed, sometimes you have, and so, you know, i start dinner a little later, you know, or whatever it is, it's it's not a big deal, Um, so it's, I think, important to be committed to your partner in that sense of um, believing that they are, you you need to be their number one fan, you know, and I, I want her to be my number one fan, and that's where I think with Driveway I can hopefully get her um, to see that I can take a third sort of risk in life and um, make it into something that's pretty cool and pretty awesome, and um, become a bigger thing and a bigger story. And we can come back and talk about it in, a, you know, a few years, and we go, remember when Driveway was brand new and we just had a, you know, we were sort of still small. We're in every co- we're in every city now, and da 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 da, and you know, we just got our second. You know, hope there's all these sorts of things you hope happen. Um, and, you know, it, it does come from, um, like you said, being around successful people. So having somebody that's that successful under the same roof um, is inspiring to make sure that you um, kind of keep up with them, you know, or you're going to get left in the dust.
0: Well, I feel that, I mean, and everyone out there listening, you feel exactly the same way after listening to Tom and spending time with him. Camilla um, feels that way. And, and feels as fortunate being under the roof with a person who is as successful in life as you are. I hope. And it, it really is. I mean, it really is because, you know, when I look at it, like I look at the success level of you. And I think, you know, that it's a pinnacle kind of situation for me when I view you because, I mean, listening to you, connecting with you and, and spending this time. I mean, I'm very fortunate because you're my friend. And I get a chance not only to spend time here on the podcast, but I also get to spend time with you in life. And, that, and the, the life experience with you is consistent. You know, it's constantly learning. It's constantly growing. It's constantly looking to master and, and, and also to, like, I want you to know that you're the Eddie in so many people's lives. You know? You're the Eddie to so many people. Like I asked you about an app the other day, and you were like, dude, I got you, man. Like, you know, I got, and you started explaining it to me. I had no idea what the heck you were talking about. But you knew, and you were like, man, I got you. And and these kind of things, I want you to know that you're such a blessing to so many people. Um, Tom, what is the thing that you wish more people would ask you?
1: Oh, that's a good question. That's a good. That's a load. That's a hard one. I want to have a good answer for that one. The thing I wish more people would ask me. I know if they, I wish they would not ask me. Is as if I played basketball. Uh, <laughs>
0: what is your response to the short person who looks up at your six five? I say six six, right. but six five six six. And what is your response to the short person that's like, "Yo, you play basketball"?
1: I mean, I don't give the standard. Oh, do you play miniature golf? Like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're not all tall. I get it. What, what about um, the
0: uh, how's the weather up there? Because these you are. You don't hear that one as much. These are cliche yeah, things. Super,
1: you just, you just kind of have to. Just okay, so it. what are
0: the top three things you should not say to a tall person?
1: Oh, do you play basketball? Um, it's really do you play basketball? How's the air up there? Because um, that's the shirt I want. No, I didn't play basketball. You know, and I think that you could have one or the other. Because I do, uh, every time I meet anybody over six foot six, I'm like, do you get the question all the time? And they're like, all the time. I just explain to people, look, I'm not that tall. I said, I am at the tall end of the normal sort of size people. And then you get into, because of my time with the NBA, you see what really tall people are all about. And you realize real quickly how you, I just blend into the crowd. I am not. Did you
0: feel small when you were there? for
1: sure. I remember walking onto the concourse, standing there with my camera and I'm, just there was like a timeout or something, and I'm kind of that Eddie situation where we're just walking around during the game, and I look down to my right, and I, s- and I wear a size 15 shoe, and I look down, and I see a foot that is a solid six inches longer than mine, Gators, blue, <laughs> powder blue suit. <laughs> so I start at the Gator, and I look to my right, and I slowly <laughs> pan up, and it's Dikembe Mutombo. Good Lord. And he just looks at me, and he goes, hey, like real quick hi and just rolls down to his seat but I just remember being like geez louise and that same weekend I, I saw Yao Ming um you know and Barkley and some of these guys and you just see how big they really are and and of course if anybody out there has ever met Shaq I mean he's just an individual that is just it's hard to describe there's certain things you just have to see with your own two eyes to understand the scale and the the awesomeness of certain things and he's, one, he's definitely one of those people that I
0: remember he, giving him a fist bump.
1: Yeah, and it was it, Oh my gosh. Yeah, he's just, but he's the nicest guy in the world. He he's incredibly he's like so friendly and he's, <gasps> he's he's when you go back to the kids and all that, he's he's great with the kids. I've never seen him grumpy and I know he's been in those situations where he should be because he's being shoved around and but he's he knows he's always on and he knows it's the like the Michael Jordan theory of he knows this might be the only time somebody gets to meet him. And I think he doesn't want to leave a bad taste in their mouths. Um, you know, so I know we didn't really answer that question. About Wait, go it.
0: back to it. Let's go back to it. What, are you, what do you wish, like, because a lot of times there's like, and I feel, I feel this with a lot of people, they have a loaded gun, right? They have this loaded gun, and they're ready. They're like the sniper in this area. If only the person would ask, then they would be able to deliver. Pow! Like, be able to do it. And a lot of times... And I notice this. I notice this with people all the time. Is I love asking questions of people because people light up. But a lot of times, like even when they ask a question, the person doesn't listen. They shut off. They shut off until the opportunity for them to tell us another story is right. But because a lot of times people so what don't get, saying? yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of people don't uh, don't get the opportunity and. So what would be that question that you would be like, damn, like if these if more people would ask me this question, I mean, they'd be a, they'd get some they get some fire.
1: Oh, a, I mean, it's such a good question that I don't have a good answer, and I feel like I should, um, because I feel like people will ask me anything, for the most part. You know, they, I'm pretty open to telling people what you know where I'm from. I I definitely will brand myself and let you know where I'm from. Um, you know, if you see some black and gold on, you go, okay, he's from Pittsburgh. I mean, that's, it's a color, color. Hey, your hey. colors don't. I mean, everybody that's knows Cabrillo High
0: School, man. That's black and gold from Cabrillo High School. That is not from, and, and everyone out there watching the podcast, that is not from, I, I'll i say it, Pittsburgh Steelers It's not. It's from Cabrillo High School, Central Coast of California, Longpoke represent, whoop. Whoop!
1: I like I hate when I'm on an airplane and I see some black and gold. I get all excited, and I realize they're from Iowa State. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, they're Hawkeyes. I'm like, That's exactly. Right, they got the right colors. Um, I, I almost want to. Let's go to an easier question. Yeah, Great, of, greatest the basketball
0: player of all time in the NBA Ooh. history.
1: Then what are we talking about though? As far as
0: like greatest of all time.
1: I mean, if we just talking skill set on the court, who's playing ball? Like, I got to pick number one. Who's my first pick? Gotta or pick ambassador one. to the league, the way they are around kids. I mean, there's sort of the two. Well, there's different ways you can look at that. You okay, know, like, let's not talk as about as far the as kids. As a tra- I'm talking straight competitor, straight competitor. <sighs> I mean, obviously, the easy answer is Jordan. Yeah. Um, I think that Kobe was the closest thing I remember to ever seeing anybody play with that same scary, fierce. Like put you on your heels, kind of terror. I mean, yeah. LeBron is 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 a spectacle to watch. I mean, it's been a privilege to be around him, um, and all these other guys that I've seen. You know, you got Steph Curry and those guys. But th- there's just something about that. I mean, I would probably have to go down to Jordan. And, I mean. It, it's really hard to argue against. The, it's the Jordan one's hard. I, we grew up watching them. We saw it mm. with our own two eyes. It's not a stat. Like, I can't speak on Bill Russell, rest in peace. Um, you know, That's a
0: hard one because seeing Bill Russell and, and Bill Russell having 11 championships, um, did, he go, he, did he go 10 in a row? Something like that. Something like yeah, that. Something and he, that. they said every closeout game that he had, he won.
1: Yeah, it was nuts. Like Every single one, and whether
0: it be in high school, college, and in pros.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's, it's always hard. The, the hardest argument, I think, is to compare generations. generations. Because, you know, like, coming from Pittsburgh, we have been blessed to an unfair way of having Mario Lemieux and then Sidney Crosby for a Pittsburgh Penguins back-to-back and to see that sort of greatness. Um, you know, I think um, the, the athleticism of these guys – it's, it's one of those things where, you know, uh, it's hard to compare. Because if you say, who was better, Gretzky or Crosby, right? Everybody goes, oh, Gretzky's the best. He had all the best goals. He had the most goals, the most assists, da da da, da. Okay, well, l- listen to me talk enough. You'll know that I, I don't dislike Gretzky. I actually become a little more of a fan since he's retired, and he's kind of funny sometimes on the broadcast. But the training is different. The diet's different. The lifestyle is different. Yeah. These guys now are so tuned from 365 days of the year, they're focused on their profession. You know, you go back into the 70s of the Steelers when um, – did you know the Steelers won four Super Bowls back then? I don't know. how many, Whatever. Um, Earl Campbell was good. But anyways. Um, <laughs> but those guys had other jobs in the offseason. They didn't necessarily train all the time. Smoking
0: cigarettes after the game or during yeah, the game exactly. or before the game, yeah, having I mean, a beer.
1: I mean – doing blow during the games. I mean, there was Hollywood Henderson spoke at my college and talked about having a, a, va- vas- or a visine sprayer doing cocaine during the football games. I mean, it was just a different time. And the I think if you could put everybody in a bubble and p- I'd probably take them to the modern day and train them modernly, because you know, how could you untrain yeah. a modern kid and make them, you know, like somebody like Jim Brown had a huge, he was a monster back then in for his position um, in comparison to these guys who were, Strong, but they're a different strong. They're sort of like if you watch UFC and you see guys that are sort of um, soft strong versus the guys like a Czech Congo that looks like an action figure. You know, nowadays you you look in an NBA or a, well NBA too, but if you look in like an NFL locker room and you see these guys, I mean, they are literally all for the most part chiseled out of rock. I mean, they are so perfected for the position that they play that it's really hard to compare the modern athlete, I think, to the old athlete um and it's 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 a hard one i think baseball might be the easiest one to compare uh-huh. because the game is still kind of similar in a way i mean the strategies have changed and all that but as far as the the, si- the guys are obviously stronger and things like that but they're really they're, i think all of them are really hard to compare so to say like bill russell is better than jordan okay if we're gonna play the championship game of course that's an easy one uh-huh. um you know, but as far as just seeing somebody with my own two eyes on the court, it would come down to Jordan, Kobe, and LeBron, and it probably would could change on the night. I mean, um, but if you if you if you really forced my hand and made me pick first, I'm probably going to take Jordan. It's hard to go against that. I, I agree.
0: I, I absolutely agree. Let's Although go. Larry
1: Bird was oh, he was fun to watch too. I mean, he, he was gangster yeah, man. I mean, he would talk some smack. Yeah.
0: He was he was gangster. So, uh, what I want to go onto is is the cultural part because, we, we, and it's right into sports, and it, I think it transcends into business and and things like that. But I and I this is the only time that I'll speak well about the uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, on this podcast or even mention them, um, but. People say the, the, the term success leaves clues and you look at the success of the Steelers and I look at one glaringly obvious thing that other organizations haven't caught on to. And it's, to me, it's so like it, it's so obvious. And if other people would take, take note, they would, they would realize it, which is the tenure of the coaches. If you look at, you got Chuck Noll, you got Bill Cower. You got, uh, who's your coach now?
1: Tomlin. Tomlin, Mike Tomlin. You're done.
0: I'm, sa- I'm saying, we got three, and how many years does that
1: span? Uh, they're in like the 78th year or something like that?
0: Something like that with three coaches. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you look at these organizations that bring a person in, they don't win in two years, and then they just discard them. And then they think that they're going to bring in a new person, and then they're going to discard them, and then they're going to do this, and they're going to discard them. When they take the time to, number one, vet the person before they ever bring them in, and then develop a culture that that culture will develop the type of, of, of place and, and the type of champion or a championship pedigree, whether it be in a company. or, Can you speak to this a little bit, Tom? Because it's, the, again, the only compliment that I'll give you on them I don't like them I'm just joking but the organization itself I wish more teams not only teams but also companies would as opposed to trying to go out and get all these hired guns that they would just develop a culture over time and think like what do I want in 10 years and then vet the person even harder before you bring them in and then allow them to develop the culture as opposed to just having a, a carousel
1: yeah, I, I think you're right because I think there's I think and I think it gets put into you as a person that comes from Pittsburgh that you end up with that same sort of loyalty um, to the front of the name, the front of the jersey versus the back, so to speak. And I think with the Steelers having only three coaches, it also sends a message, I think, to the players. And I'm not a player, so I can't speak on their behalf. And I know the, the league is changing, but at least you know they're not. They don't have a quick twitch muscle to just. Like knee-jerk reaction, and you're gone. Um, there are situations where, and it's usually like a bad situation where they tend to um, cut ties with certain people. And I, sure, people will be like, "Oh, they didn't cut ties with Big Ben," and it's like, I get it. I don't need to hear that story again. Um, you know that he's that's been dealt with. But for the most part, they they want you. They want to draft you, and they like to think if they make a great decision on picking you. That you're theirs for life. That they they really hope when they draft, and uh, this is all assumptive, I guess, but I'm assuming that they they want you to stay with them for their career, you know. And that was kind of how I felt when I when I started at Robert Chromian Salon was okay. I signed up. I'm here for life. Like this is my plan. This is where I'm going to be. Um, I don't see my. I'm loyal to these guys to the core. Like if other people talked smack about Robert Chromians and Paul Mitchell, like. I was quick to defend them or if, you know, we were in a meeting at certain places and they would refer to Paul Mitchell as um, Mitchell, you know, I was like, it's Paul Mitchell, you know, because I was like, that's my family. You say my name, right. You say their name, right. Um, You know, so uh, I don't know. I think um, help me out here. Um, Well, it
0: goes, I mean, we're talking about culture and, and like, I think that a lot of times people want a quick fix in things. No, they want, sure. they want to bring a person in and I, what I find is, and I see this with companies, you know, I see this with companies that I work with. I see this with, you know, with whether it be sports teams, organizations, things like that. And I look at the people, I look at the, the, the teams in the NFL, let's just call the NFL out. I look at the teams that have the most challenges and that don't have a winning culture and they have a carousel of
1: everything. Everything. It's everything. It's across the board. It's that they jump ship on the quarterback. They jump ship on the defensive coordinator. They jump ship on this. Per- and I understand that you're going to lose coordinators because they're going to get opportunities to fill in the bigger roles. Um, you know, but I think um, having a consistent culture is one of the things that I've been able to be proud about the Steelers. When you know, people talk smack all the time, obviously, but then there there's always this other. But I kind of like this aspect of the team. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't like any aspect of your I team.
0: None of it. None. I, I don't, know, don't like that, any. You know what of I, I
1: it. hear people say it a lot after meeting me. As <laughs> much as I hate the Steelers, <laughs> I kind of like you. you know? And I was like, well, I, I, think I, I appreciate that. I
0: like, I feel that sentiment. I completely. Or I, feel I hate it. the
1: Steelers just a little bit less. Just a little, a little bit, bit less, less, man. But, but yeah, it's, uh, and it's tough. I, I love the fact you know, and and I have a, obviously a lot of friends back home, and I have a. Of group chat that you know the opinions of mike tomlin (laughs) are very um interesting to say the least as far as get him out of here you know that i've just always kind of felt like i just don't think about it it's like the price of gas it goes up it goes down it is what it is like with the with the with the coaches i know that they're going to give somebody a chance and i'm just going to be like i'm on board with mike tomlin until they decide i'm not qualified to make that decision i can judge him based on his record but guess what his record's pretty pretty damn good So I like him. I'm fine with him being the coach. Mm -hmm. Um, There's not a lot of other coaches available that I would pick over him. There's other coaches that I really enjoy. You know, I get, there's a, one of my favorite people to chop it up with at the old grocery store is uh, a Baltimore Ravens fan. And him and I both kind of, grumble about each other's teams but then at the same time we're both like well i like your coach and i'm like yeah i like your coach too well um, and it's amazing because when i like your coach as a matter of fact
0: I, I do too and and to see the the cultural change with john a uh, big shout out to john robinson and jamie robinson to two phenomenal people um you know when john was on the podcast he was talking about it and i said how'd you change because i i really feel i'm i'm a i'm a irrational fan and I always have been. You have to be to be a Houston Oilers fan and a Tennessee type. You gotta be irrational. But I've started to see more of a championship pedigree come out of our organization in the last couple years. And one of the I mean one of the biggest catalysts for it is John Robinson. And when I asked him how did you switch the culture, what he said is, man, I don't know if you heard it, but what he said is I was looking out from my office and I saw trash on the ground, on on the grounds. He said I I changed out of my suit, got into jeans. I went down and I picked up every piece of trash I could find and I took a picture of it before I picked it up. And I sent it to all of our executives and said, is this the look of a championship team? And I was like, wow, like, I mean, that's gangster, right? And I was thinking, how can that change a whole culture? But it was something that changed the culture. And people talk about culture as far as a buzzword, but a lot of times they're not willing to commit to it. And I just, I want to, I mean, again, like, I'm on. I'm on record as saying that I, I'm giving you props on on your on your uh, Pittsburgh Steelers and Ron Pelizzari out there too. You know who you talk. Oh, he's a big fan too. I don't like him. I must
1: like Ron. Oh, you know, God. yeah, Shout exactly. I
0: don't know about Ron. He, I've always questioned him, but he's a Steeler fan. That's why. But. When you look at it, Is it's that why your podcast colors are black and gold. No, man, it's Cabrillo High School, dude. Like, that's what I'm telling you, man. I'm changing them. I was gonna change them to black and silver, but you know what that would yeah, entail. Yeah, that would be a tough day, yeah. tough day. But I, I think that that cultural part and and when you look at it, like I look at it with you, right? So Eddie. Eddie invested in you, right? Stephanie invested in you with Patron. She was like, Look, I've got this guy, I'm gonna develop this guy and he's going to ride, and then there's going to be so much loyalty. How much loyalty did you have to Patron at the time? How much loyalty did you have to doing those NBA projects and that your heart and soul were in it because they were willing to invest in you?
1: Yeah, I, instantly. Like, I, I think that's good and bad. To, for For the most part, I think it's a good characteristic of me is that once I get on board with you and your company, I'm 100% loyal to you. So once I, you know, the Patron thing, you know, um, My buddy, Mike, uh, he was running the warehouse out there in Vegas and he was, um, friends with Stephanie. And he was, I think actually the one that sort of convinced her to, um, give me that opportunity because she was one of my hair clients. Um, and she found me that way. And, um, you know, it's these, these, these opportunities come up and, um, trying to just be, make the most of an opportunity, um and be loyal to that client. And like, and and I think part of it was because of S- like Stephanie, um, she was very, very, um, fiercely loyal to Patron. I mean, you don't say anything bad about Patron in her earshot, or she's going to make it clear that you're wrong. Um, because she was very loyal to her, to Ed, Ed was her Mark. Um, you know, when we were talking about camera Cam- with Mark yeah. and me with Mike and she was, um, with Ed. And so then, because I was her guy for photography and she put me on the brand and I knew how much she believed in it. I was on board with her mentality. Um, with the salon, same thing. Like, you know, Margaret, um, Margaret was such a strong believer in our culture. Um, you know, Margaret and I have had amazing conversations. She's chewed my ass out. Um, she's called me an asshole before and rightfully so probably at the time. And all these great things, but the the loyalty she had for the salon and the the passion that she put into it, and Stephanie and all these great people, um, made me want to be just that loyal. Um, so it's it's the same thing. No matter what what I dive into, if I'm representing your brand, I'm with your brand until you tell me I'm no longer with it. So all my clients that are have a brand that they hire me for, you're my brand. You know, I mean, and I might have two in the same category, but still, I'm going to believe in you guys and. Do you know that if I work for you, when I'm not working for you, I'm still telling people about your brand? Um, Because I like the clients that I work with. I work with because they're great brands. And they're they're noteworthy as far as the way that they, you know, one of my biggest clients, um, it's one of the jobs that I have that people go, must be nice. Um, I get to go to these President Club um, Circle of Excellence reward trips for Bosch and Lom and Hologic and these big, massive companies and these super successful sales guys that they're always like, oh, man, I wish I had your job. And I was like, I wish I had your paycheck. Um, But I get to go to these crazy resorts. But then I watch um, the way that he operates his business and the way that Rick and his team make sure that his guests have this experience, which I then have to capture with my camera. And the clients get to see because they're not all at this retreat but hopefully they can see what these people have. Um, so then I become fiercely loyal to Rick and because of his um, his ultimate professionalism. And then you become part of their family. And the, the second that goes from when your client sort of brings you into that sort of family feel, you really become fiercely loyal to that brand and want to protect it. And um, much like a child, you wanna, you'll want to you defend it Like when people talk crap about it. And you're like, no, 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 no. You don't know. Like that brand's actually good. Um, you're just reading what you read on the internet, but I've been with them. I know these people. They're a good company, Um, you know, because uh, there's a lot of companies out there that just people don't know about because they're small or whatever, but they have great people in there, and they have a great story that they could show the world, and, you know, it doesn't need that you have to be a billion-dollar company to get a great message out there to some people. Um, You might have a really small business but has an amazing culture, and you should share that culture. You know, that's what's great about social media is you can you know, share your unique culture with, um, you know, one of the first ones that I remember hearing was pretty unique was um, Zappos. When I was in Las Vegas, Zappos had a giant warehouse out there and or in a big office. And um, I, I was friends with the girl that was dating the, the gentleman that was the CEO at the time. And we were talking about the office and she was like, oh, I was just there the other day. She's like, it's so cool. Everybody gets to decorate their cubicle however they want. And she's like, it's nuts in there. Like, and they have a really interesting culture. Now, that's obviously a massive company. But, you know, that's one of the things at Driveway that I want to start to create is that, that culture that we kind of had in the salon where there was this friendly competition amongst hairdressers to see who could sell the most product or who could upgrade the most clients or or whatever it was. And, you know, and also have that sort of locker room banter that's sort of supportive snapping in, the, in a way that's um, – you know, m- makes people not want to leave the culture because you never want to start a business that, you know, people just come and go because it's it's just another job. It's something that there, it's no different than the other opportunity down the street. So what, what can we do, um, especially now as my role in marketing, you know, obviously that's to get the message out there and get the people um, to come utilize our services. But internally, I want to see that our, our culture grows into something that, You know, the people that work with us want to then say, hey, you should come work for us. This is really fun over here. we got something going. Um, You know, and it it may be slow at first for some businesses. It's going to be small, and it may take a little bit of time for that momentum to build and that snowball to grow down the hill. But um, the culture, uh, to me, is something that's very unique to the best businesses. There's something you can't always put your finger on it, and I saw it with Patron as a mirror of Paul Mitchell. And there's an obvious connection there with John Paul, Um, the family connection there, the way that he took care of his people, Uh the way that everybody that worked there, (coughs) excuse me, everybody that worked in both of those businesses had no desire to work somewhere else. I mean, maybe not everybody, but as a general rule, nobody wanted to lose that job. Mm -hmm. Um, They paid great at Patron for one. That was obviously an easy one to make people want to stay but just the things that they did, their little Friday afternoon, like meals and like happy hours and things like that, which obviously a lot of businesses do that now. Um, You know, and Paul Mitchell, I always remember people talking about JP swinging by the office and, you know, either having a glass of wine or a shot with you and just popping in. And they said it was always, you knew if if it was a shot, it was a good day. If it was a glass of wine, he wanted to talk and you might be in, in for a little bit of a discussion. But I mean, I never had either one of them with JP. Well, actually, I probably had a shot with JP, but not like in that. Office environment, but the culture is strong. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, your culture was always strong at the salon. Um, You know, and I think that's where I think a lot of businesses sometimes, and it maybe becomes it depends on who started the business and who's the sort of the face of the creative aspect of it or not creative, but the um, well the culture, so to speak, and who is is it somebody that's very straight and narrow, very cut and dry, black and white. Um, and they might end up making a very structured, very organized culture, but isn't something that's maybe exciting where somebody else comes in and goes, okay, well, on Fridays, we're all going to wear, Hawaii, you know, it's like the Hawaiian shirt thing. Or it, it, as dorky as certain things can be, they do bring unity together, and it, the resistors at first are going to be like, that's oh dumb, I don't want to do it, and then eventually, everybody will get on board. You know, it's the old shit or get off the pot, so to speak, and I think with a great culture... You know, that's the thing I noticed. I mean, like this past weekend, we went over to um, one of Camilla's co-workers' houses, had a little barbecue, and it was just the staff. It was just the people from her office that were there and some of the kids. Um, but they have such an amazing connection as a group. Like, they have that ability to have the, the nonverbal conversations and the looks and the inside connections because they've been together for a while, and they have, they, they all know each other so well. And so I think keeping that team together like you said, keeping the same head coach in place, you know, being able to keep that strong leader at the quarterback position or at the lead salesperson um, that can deliver the message, whether it be verbally or just with their hands. You know, Not every person can translate verbally what they're doing to other people, but sometimes just sitting next to the successful person, it rubs off on you. And I, I did that all day long in, in the hair world. I chose, when I shampooed my guest, to go sit next to the most talented people on purpose. You know, some of the guys and girls in the salon would see Takashi standing there, or Abe Barron, or Stephanie Kachelski and all these names that I know most of you don't know, but know that I'm saying I went out there and stood next to LeBron James, or Kevin Durant, or whoever. Na- you know, they, they're the biggest names in the hair industry at the time, and still are, and I would come out of the wash house, and I would go sit next to them, because I wanted to listen to how they talked to their guests. I wanted to maybe pick up the way they comb the hair, you know, Takashi would do things, we all could comb out a head of hair, but he could make it look cool, like, he just did stuff that you just wanted to emulate, and you wanted to, you know, do, and I think, and then, like, with you, I didn't get to work with you in salon as much, Um, and one of the biggest compliments I ever heard about you was, was, was was from Ira, who, you know, I know you and Ira weren't always the tightest in the salon, but you guys were great co-workers for the most part and and ira just always would say nobody he's never seen any single person play the game better than kelly in the salon and it's true and i didn't get to experience it i my your rub off on me was more stage wise when we were on the stage together work and i got a little bit more of that banter and how to talk to the crowd and how to you know do the play with the models and interact with the products and all that jazz um and a little bit of that rubbed off to me into the salon but um for the most part, our relationship was different. So I got all that from those people that I chose to sit next to. So in businesses, when you have talented people within your culture, go seek them out, go find them and go ask them, hey, would you be my mentor? Most people that are good at something want to share it because they're proud of the fact that they're good at it. I give so many people my business card at events when they find out i'm a photographer or just wherever in the airport i'm sitting on an airplane and the person next to me says oh my my kid just got a camera or i just got a camera or you know whatever it is and i'm like here's my card i'm like if you ever get in a pinch i'm like please don't hesitate shoot me a message i said i will respond unless i can't you know and i mean it's one of those things where i'm like legit like maybe a dozen people over the years have followed up and said hey i'm looking to buy a camera can you help me pick one out or trying to shoot this one thing and i'm having some trouble you know so within a culture you want people to it goes back to when we would be on stage and you talked about our our knowledge and our box of knowledge and if that box of knowledge is full the only way to make room for more knowledge is to give something away so you have to give away your knowledge so most of the time people will help you Now, obviously, sometimes in the sales industry, sometimes people aren't as quick to want to share their secrets because they're very protective of their clientele and their things like that. But you hope that in the culture, most great salespeople will realize that they're just making their company stronger by building up the smaller people into success because sometimes that's where we would fall flat in the salon in Las Vegas was trying to get the people that would take a walk in majority clientele and convert those people into regulars because at the end of the day, we knew we were going to get so many walk-ins per year that number didn't really fluctuate a whole lot from the time i was there it was a little bigger when you were there when mandalay was a little hopping and a little more but for the most part that number was pretty consistent but what changed was the regular number so if you could close your you know you get a 20 walk-ins in a week and all of a sudden you turn two of those into regulars and then two the next week all of a sudden you don't have room for walk-ins well they're going to go into somebody else's chair your business is going to grow because we need more hairdressers, so same thing in the culture with the salespeople. You want to teach those younger salespeople to be super dangerous, just like you. And if you're that top salesperson, maybe you have envisions of be becoming the sales manager. And by doing that, if you want to get that role, then you need to show that you can coach up that younger kid, get that younger salesperson up to snuff, and get them up to speed, um, or whatever you know, whatever side of the you know the the team you're on in a business, but. Um, for me, the culture's huge. I think the the people you work with um, really have to be people, y- you don't have to want to hang out with them, but you shouldn't mind hanging out with them, I guess, if you had to <laughs> hang out with them on the weekend, you don't want to roll your eyes and go, oh, God, I got to hang out with him again. But, you know, the, the people should be good people, and you want to have um, that culture be the thing that people do talk about within your business, not just that, yeah, they kick ass and they make a lot of money, but, you know, I looked them up on, you know, Hourglass or whatever those websites are you can look up the you know how good your business is and Uh people don't want to work there because the number usually when you see it they'll say the culture is terrible the culture is terrible it's usually payer culture is usually what i see when most people complain about a business is they just don't like the atmosphere you know and um you know and sometimes people just aren't they're they're working in a in a career that they they choose to you know i mean and a lot of people are working because of the success they can have in that field. It may not be their favorite thing. They may want to be something different, but the opportunity is not there, um, which is why we all have hobbies and things like that, to be able to take our mind away from our day-to-day life and do something else. Um, You know, there's not as many people probably, that there's more people wish they could be doing a job that they didn't feel like was a job. I mean, everybody says it. You know, if you find something you love, you never work it a day in your life. But I think for a lot of people, that's not a lot of people have that, luxury, you know, I think you're starting to find that now, um, where you're really, you're, your life is panning out exactly the way you want your life to pan out, and you're getting to be 100% Kelly all day, every day, which is a lot to handle, um, <laughs> <laughs> if you're around it, but for those of you that hear twice a week, it's perfect. Um, <laughs>
0: but I, 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 think, I think it's incredible what you were talking about, because as you're talking about culture, man, like, you know, it takes time. Uh, just like what you've said, and uh, what I love about you, man, is your your message is so consistent. And it hasn't been this like, hey, I want to shoot for Patron or I want to shoot for the NBA. Bang, I get to do it. No, it's the process and all the the ingredients that go into the recipe. That the, if the recipe isn't mixed right and it isn't uh, the, the the oven isn't preheated and you don't take the time to let it to let it cook. It ain't going to work out. And to be excited about every single aspect of it and what I'm hearing from you, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, is, you know, if you want to have a, a culture that lasts, it, it, you're going to have to take time. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to take investment. You know, when you were talking about Kamala and her friends from work, you know, coming over, those people have spent time together. You can't, you, and, and I, I say this all the time, and I think it's, you have an art form of being able to be fast friends with people, but there are times where someone tries to be a fast friend because they're just trying to circumvent the process, circumvent that stuff like, yeah, yeah, I don't want to go through the relationship process, I'm just trying to get the result. And that's why I believe that you're so successful at what you do is because you actually take the time to get to know people. You take the time to get in those relationships. And, you know, when you were talking about being being fiercely loyal, you know, you being fiercely loyal with the company is because you've done the research to make sure that before you put your stamp on something, you've actually taken the time to understand that if I'm putting my stamp to this, if I'm committing to this, and I'm going to be loyal to it, it's one of those things that's at a high quality and that's why I want to compliment you again man because you know the people that you bring around every person that I've ever met through you is a quality person
1: you know and and some of them are a handful I mean we talked about cousin Eddie already but some of them are definitely but they're all unique and they're all interesting in their own ways you know they're not I think that's what I do like about my circle of friends especially my our little Facebook chat that we have I mean it's I, I get credit for bringing us all together because they're all connected to me, but we've all become friends to the point where that t- it's, it's not obvious that I'm the connection because mm-hmm. there's my buddy Jack in Minnesota. There's, you know, cousin Eddie and Luca in Pittsburgh and Mike's in, um, Las Vegas and, and Jeff's up in Pittsburgh as well. And we've all become friends because of, you know, my, our relationships, you know, yeah. those guys in Pittsburgh became friends from family shit with me and, you know, and Halloween in Las Vegas and we've all become friends and it's, um, it's cool to have this hodgepodge of culture like, and you get insight from different angles and I think that's where the best cultures come from is, is having a lot of variety of people. I think that was what was really, really interesting in our salons were um, the different types of people that we had. I mean, we had so many different characters within that salon culture um, that it really made me, and you'd see different clients and all that too and I think that's really where it, all that openness to different people comes from is that especially when people are paying you to do their hair you know you may not believe in what they're talking about but you sometimes just go mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean especially for someone like yourself I'm sure you've had conversations in your chair that you really maybe had to bite your tongue maybe you didn't but um, you know people being vulgar or whatever in your presence and then not appreciating that sort of behavior within the salon um, you know but you realize that's who they are um, Mm -hmm. that's the type of person that they are there's people that are very direct very to the point and don't sugarcoat anything. And um, sometimes I think for me, especially that can be a challenge um, especially if it has anything to do with anything creative related. It's very difficult. Um, You try very hard as an artist to accept critiques and criticisms, but no matter it, it always stings no matter what, like you really, you know, when you show somebody like you finish up a design of something and I go to them and I show them a new logo for, for driveway or something like that. And, they're like, ah, we we'll to change this, and I'm like, oh man, I thought I nailed it. That's why I showed you it. Like, I thought I really got this one right. And then if they don't love it, you're like, ah, oh, damn it, um, you know. Or even just making dinner at night, you really hope that like they're stoked on it. Even if it's something dumb like chicken and vegetables, you feel like you hope that there's something about it that they get pretty pumped on. Um, so I don't know. It's 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 uh, it's yeah. Like I, I think we've been really banging away at the whole culture thing and I think a lot of people probably want us to move on but I think it is th- probably the most important thing in a business that can not necessarily make or break it but I think that can take a, a normal a common business and really make it outstanding when it doesn't take long nowadays especially for the word to get out that you have a business that people want to be associated with whether it's as a customer you know now as people are very pr- like we said they're very proud to support your business you know I'm trying to figure out a way to make people want to wear like driveway T-shirts, you know, like Nike shirts um, <laughs> <laughs> like, or a Kelly Cardenas shirt. I mean, I don't know if I need to put dreadlocks on a car. And, like. Well, but you
0: know. I mean, it, it, when you look at it, when you were saying like, you know, we've been banging away at culture, but we've been building up to culture, you know, on this episode here. And as we've been talking, we've been building up to culture and you've been constructing it for us over this time. And to be able to see the components that you put in play, talking about from when, you, when your mama would go to the store and then come back with a new friend. And you were, con, like, you were like, wow, that's, that's crazy. And then to see your dad and the personality that your dad has and the, the connection point with a, a Sergio early. And, you know, going through all these things, this is what develops – you know a culture, and I, I've I've said this story before with a uh, you know I believe you on the podcast. If you're listening, you've heard it before, but my wife, you know, she was she got a chance to do hair for the Golden Globes, and she was so excited. She you know, but it was it, it was a it, part of her work. And one little girl, probably 19, 20 years old, is like, "Oh my gosh, you get to do hair for the Golden Globes!" And she's like, "How how'd you get to do hair for the Golden Globes?" And my wife stopped, and she was very gracious. She turned to the little girl, probably 20, 21, 19, whatever, and says, well, I met a a woman named Julie about 17, 18 years ago, and she's got a daughter named Kalina, and Kalina and I have been friends, and the girl stopped her, and she's like, no, no, I didn't ask you about Julie or Kalina. I asked you how you got a chance to be able to do hair for the Golden Globes, and my wife very graciously stopped and said, I met a girl named, I met a woman named Julie about 12, 17 years ago, and I became friends with her, and then I became friends with Kalina, and Kalina uh, has since become a part of that department, and when Kalina needs something, because we're friends, she knows that she could trust me, and she stopped her again, and she, the little girl stopped my wife, and she's like, no, 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 I didn't ask about all your friendships, I asked about how you got to hair, do hair for the Golden Globes, and I watched my wife, then after two attempts, she stopped, she smiled, chuckled, and just walked away and didn't answer the question. And the girl didn't get it. She didn't get what you've been laying down, Tom, is to build a successful culture, to be successful in anything that you do. It's not about any techniques that you have. It's about connecting with the people and seeing that every single ingredient is, impo- is, is, is so important in the journey. And I just, I think it's so cool, man. I think it's so cool. how like I don't know how you did it, Like because I've asked different questions of you. And I've prodded and I've poked and, and today, but every time you weaved in one more ingredient and it was almost like you were like uh, like Mr. Miyagi and you were like, I'm going to drop one more ingredient on your ass. Here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. And before I knew it, now we got a cake in front of us that we get to enjoy, which is culture, yeah. right? I just think, I think it is, it's incredible, man. Um, so I, I, I started the podcast because of people like you. Because of iconic people like you, Kamala, take this one. Listen to this episode that says, "I don't know what you're going to talk about, Kamala. I'm going to give you our time because I want you on the podcast too. Because I want you. I want to hear the 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 opposite side of Tom. Probably you're going to say that you wanted a, a a good looking couch as opposed to a comfy one. I want a comfy one every day of the week.
1: Every day, just need a comfy couch.
0: Now it could be the Cloud Couch from uh, uh, Restoration Hardware. That's a comfy couch. And it's good looking.
1: We have the Restoration Hardware big fat leather couch. Man, That's, I so, dude, you, now you're just bragging. No, it's the same. It's like a, it's a million years old. You're she's just bragging, it, she's dude. Had it, she's, had it, she's had it forever. This is
0: not a bragging podcast. This is a this is a this is a it's, podcast about being humble. I'm just joking with you. So uh, I, I started the podcast because of people like you because I want to take iconic people and I wanted to take my kid. I want to show my kids that anything in life is possible. And I love this today because you showed my kids. And you let them hear what is possible in life if you focus on the, the thing that means the most, which is the people along the way, and that you keep contributing to them over and over again. But I made it for Maddox and McKenna because I wanted them to see that anything was possible, and not because Tom's a superhero, not because he's just got all this God-given talent, and then he just, he just, it just appeared that way. It's because you have a phenomenal attitude and work ethic to match that. So what uh, what uh, advice would you give to Maddox and McKenna? And if you could use both their names, it would be awesome, Tom. All
1: right. So for Maddox and McKenna, I think, for one, they're already – they live in a culture. We talked about culture, and the, the roof that they live under has an amazing culture. Um, you know, the things that um, – you know, the challenges that you and I talked about with, you know, McKenna coming over the other day, and she didn't really want to stop by the house – she was like, oh, "True story.
0: Dad, True story." We got to
1: go by Tom's house, and by the time she left, not that she loved her trip to the house, but I do think that she was like, "All right, it was all right." Stop by, said hi to Tom, and you made know. us
0: feel bad about our decor because I'm telling you, Kamala, your house was spotless,
1: oh. spotless. She'd say it was disgusting. Nah, it wasn't. I it.
0: I'm saying I, I walked in, I was like, "Damn, I am not getting COVID up in here." Because this place has been sanitized eight times. I'm telling you, you it was so spick and span. It was gangster. Go no, ahead. She's, Keep she's going.
1: made me a much more aware person of cleanliness and uh, things like that. So that I, you know, see, I mean, in her skill set, I'm still somewhat uh, messy. But as far as a general, I think if you compare me to a lot of my friends, I've actually straightened up quite a bit Um you know, but for those guys, for like for Maddox and McKenna, I think they they live with two parents that are never going to tell them they can't at least try something. Um, you know, whether it's you know becoming a hairdresser, becoming you know um, a mathematician, or whatever they're into, I think you guys are obviously going to be super supportive of it. You're gonna you're gonna definitely make sure that they're protected along the way and miss out on. Um, don't make this any mistakes that you've deemed to be major mistakes you know you asked me earlier what do you wish um people would ask you um and when it comes to like business and you know it's like a gambler who only tells you when they win you know there's losses in those in those stories but they tend to choose to gloss over them so with me with hairdressing and with photography um yourself and a lot of people see the successful things that i've 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 achieved the the cool clients that i've been around the celebrities that i've gotten to photograph or cut their hair um you know the the things like that but they don't know um necessarily the mistakes that i've made um and i would say that the question of if they ask me what's the biggest mistake you've made um, Mm. in your journey of being a um, modern day renaissance sort of person in terms of Tackling different artistic endeavors is um, be smart with your money, um, you know. And I think Camel is the one that's really taught me that the most is, you know, obviously you want to enjoy it, um, but get somebody early on that's gonna. And and this is not a this is nothing to do with my parents. Um, they were very, um, you know they they gave us a lot of freedom as kids to sort of make and choose our own decisions, and they didn't overcoach us. And maybe and to some degree, I maybe wish they would have been stricter on, um, you know, save X amount of every paycheck and just get that muscle memory going, you know, things like that. So I think for every kid out there who wants to get into, a, especially a creative field, um, don't fall in love with your biggest paychecks. Um, don't become a slave to the the salary that you made that one year that was the big one and think that that's going to be every year because there's going to be lean years in there. You know, um, I watched a lot of the salon kids who developed their lifestyle based on the years that you were there um, when Las Vegas was out of control and people were just throwing up money in the casino to brag about the fact that they spent $400 on their hair where now they want to brag about the deal they got. So these people built a lifestyle with X amount of paycheck, and then when things came back down, they weren't really ready for it. And I'm definitely one of those people that I had too much fun with my money um, that I was making when I was making, like, good paychecks because it wasn't a consistent paycheck as a hairdresser you'd have big ones and slow ones and you'd have a crush a week and then you'd have a slow week but the week you crushed it you're like oh I have an extra couple hundred bucks I'm gonna go do whatever with it buy something stupid or you know whatever and I think that that's the probably the one thing that I would say is get some and this goes to like athletes and everybody out there like whatever it is if you find success especially early and you start to generate some wealth you know, find somebody that's going to help you with it. You know, that's the thing that I, it's the most impressive characteristic I find of Kamala and their business is the way that they consult with people about their wealth. They want people to gain wealth through, um, like, real estate and being able to put their money to work for them in a smart way. Um, And I just was one of those people that didn't do that. So, you know, I got myself a little behind the eight ball in that regards, and so I think it's great to enjoy all the success that I've had as far as traveling all around the world, whether it was as a hairdresser and going to China with you, which is a whole other episode. Um, <laughs> and, you know, all the cool things I've done with the NBA and Patron, and, I mean, it sounds like I'm name dropping, but it's just to prove the point that those things are all great, but there's, a, there's another side to that story, and that was not being smart about my money. Um, so I think for a lot of people, the best advice I can give anybody young is, do whatever you want to do, and give it 110%, you know, put your, put your mind to it, and really, you ha- especially when you're, when you're young and you're in school, you have a lot of time, you know, some kids are obviously super busy with sports and things like that, and they don't, but you, you kind of do, you don't have a full work job, you don't have a family, you don't have other things like, so you have an opportunity in there to really consume information, and nowadays with YouTube out there, you know, Mr. Beast is somebody that I didn't think I would ever watch, and the boy and Maddox probably watches Mr. Beast. McKenna might. Um, Rex loves it. I don't know if Rowan does, but when I started to watch him and I started to learn about him, um, it was really interesting how he and a couple other creators decided to get together for I think two years and talk for ten hours a day and just just every consumed every aspect of YouTube patterns, trends, things like that to. And that's why they're great. They're they're what's they're an outlier. You know, there's, I, I I've, this year I made a commitment to start to read more books, and I'm I'm gonna say I consumed this year, so far over the last twelve months thirteen books. Now a lot of those were audio, so for the true readers out there, they kind of go, oh, you listen to it, which just means you can get it through it a little bit quicker because I read not the fastest. I'm probably two page or a page every minute or two, so it takes me a while to get through a book if I'm reading it. So. The one that I did read was The Outliers and um, the one, if you've ever read it, it's a, it's a great book and it talks about the people that had extreme success in certain industries and if you play it backwards, if you take a look at their life, maybe from that drone perspective and you could see the, how their path played out, sometimes it's a circumstantial thing and a, a generational thing and a time frame kind of thing. Mr. Beast came around at the perfect time to dominate YouTube. He was the right age to waste time, so to speak, and learn all this stuff when he didn't have a full-time job. So by the time he hit the ground running, he already had his 10,000 hours in. When you consume 10 hours a day with a bunch of guys and you're all comparing your mistakes, you're now multiplying that information, and you're getting so much data to help you out. And so nowadays, if you want to become a chef – you, you know, you and I talked about it. Uh, my friend Chef Mike and I are looking to start uh, a YouTube channel to help people that want to become a chef to be able to say, look, I've watched this on YouTube. I created my abilities here. You can you – can, I love to cook, and if I would have had YouTube, I would have wanted to be on all these c- kid cooking shows and all this stuff. So the advantage that the younger generation has now to – accelerate their learning curve you know if you were a tattoo artist back in the day you had to assist behind somebody else and they were going to make you be an apprentice um, you know for a couple years before they even gave you a crack at the thing now if you got the skill set to do certain things you can jump in there and do those things Um, it's just like there's a, a young man who I'm not sure if he's still in the racing he got a job as a professional automotive driver strictly by playing the video game because the simulators were so good, they, they ended up putting him in a car, and he became a successful, not even just like he was finished in 25th, he was winning races, and he was completely trained on a computer, you know, the military's, they're changing things to be more the way the kids use the, the controllers are starting to become more like PlayStation controllers, and things like that, so, you know, you can, you can find a passion, but When you're young and you find a passion, don't be afraid to also look to your right and to your left and in front and back and everywhere else. There might be something else that goes along with that passion that can either help it um, or it might take you in a different different route. It's like, you know, the kids that played all the sports typically were the best athletes. And we just thought it was because those are the ones that played the most sports. But what ends up happening is, yeah, you may not end up being a football player, but that strength training from football helped you out as a baseball player. Or the t- being part of track and field built up your speed so that when you went back to the football field, you had that. Or I mean, it's just the sports, obviously, we're talking about. But utilizing multiple avenues of knowledge and skill sets, you start to find your recipe, so to speak. And you start to see how you ended up the cake that you are and what ingredients did go into that. And I never really thought about how I do think about myself. And I guess I do put it down into sort of a recipe format. Um But for the best recipes to work, all the ingredients need to be um, synchronized, and they need to work in harmony together. And that's why some chefs are great and some chefs aren't, because it's how do you work with those ingredients? Which ones do you pull? As a hairdresser, I always said I was sort of like, not the Terminator, but I was like a Mr. Mr. Potato Head. It's probably more appropriate. You know, I had... You know, I thought I, I felt like I had the sort of the game and the mindset of like you and Robert, and I thought I had sort of the color skills and the sort of the confidence of like India and Stephanie and you know the like I wanted to cut like DJ and Takashi and um, Abe and like I wanted to really feel like those people were all still a part of me, and that was my hairdresser recipe. Photography, I could rattle off a bunch of names that m- don't mean anything to anybody on this um, podcast, but to me they mean a lot because. They, they showed me one trick. They showed me one setting. Um, you know, Sergio's brother-in-law worked for Getty Images, and um, I remember Jay helping me out. I, th- I think it might have been you and I talking about the, the, the F-stops and showed him a picture of a couple kids, and he pointed out to me and showed me what I the mistake that I made. And to this day, I still think about that mistake um, and make sure I don't recreate that when I'm shooting something that's important. Um, so I think understanding your recipe um, I think it's, I guess, becoming the theme of this, our little chat here in a way, but um, figuring out where you can um, find the best ingredients, whether it's, you know, are you going to be farm to table and be locally grown? Or are you going to go um, and go somewhere else and, you know, get training somewhere long, far, far away and bring it back? You know, there's, there's so many ways to create who you want to become. Um, and I think, experiences are one of the most important things and that's something that actually camel has taught me a lot is you know not that i was super materialistic or things like that but the experiences we have in life are very very important and um in that book we were talking about before he talked about the kids that had a bigger experience and not everybody can have it and i understand that and it's not to say that you need to take your kids to france and Travel them all around the world. Um, you know, y- you make the most of the situation that you're in. If if you don't have the ability to travel big, then travel small. Um, you know, make an adventure out of your local neighborhood or make an adventure out of whatever it is. But those the kids that experience more, get they gain more education because of their eyes are exposed to more things. You know, they they go to France and they see a kid eating something that they thought was gross, and now maybe they'll try it. You know, or You go to another state and you see the way that people are doing things and you go, okay, I never thought about it that way. You know, like being able to say I never thought about it that way um, comes a lot back to the first time you introduced me on stage in front of my parents, in front of New York City, and announced to the world that this is Big Tom. Big Tom came out from – I wasn't even Big Tom at that point. (laughs) Um, I was just Tom. And, you know, this is Tom. You and, were always big, man. Yeah, right, I, well, for sure. But, you know, you said, this Tom is Sergio. And, you know, I love having Tom in the salon. And, you know, Tom's an I know guy. And I'm behind you blow drying or combing or doing something. And my chest is getting big as you're introducing me. And there's thousands of, there's not thousands, there's hundreds of people. in front of the was a stage. There's a lot. They were up the, it was big. It was a big audience. Like, it was big. And my parents were there. And he's like, yeah, Tom's an I know guy. And I'm getting more and more confident. And every time you tell him something, he says, I know. And I was like, oh. And I was like the middle of the stage in the back, and I was nowhere to hide. And I was like, man. And it bothered me. Um, but not like because you said it, like, it. It wasn't like I was mad at you for saying it. It was I was mad at me. And I still struggle with that mentality to this day. It's something I wrestle with is being open to um, a new way of looking at things. And it came down to um, me always fighting that, that sort of thought that you planted in my head and then it was somebody else in uh, Paul Mitchell world a guy named Gary Cooper in Alabama who said to me, uh, when I watched him as a, as a 40-year-old male hairdresser um, work with a 19-year-old female hairdresser who was an assistant in our salon, and she was showing him what she was doing as far as curling the hair and doing some things, and he stood there for 45 minutes holding hair and passing her sections, and I'm thi- sitting there thinking, I, I know Gary's done this before um he comes from a curling iron generation I know based on his clientele Gary has curled some hair and I asked him after how did you do that how did you not want to like gouge your eyes out at something that something you've seen a million times and he said I'll tell you something that I was told and that's to stay green and I said what do you mean and he said when you're an apple and you're on a tree you're growing you're green your stem is green the branch is green the second that apple falls off the tree it starts turning brown and deteriorating And that's by, like, saying things like, I know, I know, I know people shut down. They don't want to teach you, and you stop growing. So if you want to continue to learn and you want to continue to grow, you need to stay green no matter how old you are and be open to some young kid who may not – you may think because you're an old dog and you've been doing this for 40 years that you know every way is best, but it's a reality of the world today is these young kids have some bright ideas. Um, You know, people that go, you need to learn how to read a map, and I go, Why? Because these young kids figured out a way for us to not have to read a map (laughs) that's how smart they are they figured out a way to put it on our phones and tell us where to go what lane to be in how long it's going to take to get there and the options if we want to go a different route so the the younger people you know and i'm now in the middle you know i'm 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 on the older i'm on the back nine of being (laughs) an old dog in the in the industries but I, i try to keep that young mindset you know it's like trying to make sure you're still listening to the new music so that you can relate to the younger – especially if you were in a salon environment and you work with young kids, you do have to stay up on things. But, I mean, ultimately you just want to make sure that – just listen to some somebody that has an opportunity to give you a bit of thoughts as far as what they like or how they would do something. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not an option. You know, it's it comes down to like – it drives me nuts when people – dump on the food that you like if you like something and they don't like it and they're oh it's gross it's disgusting it's it's, like i like it you know so maybe you should just try it from somebody else maybe it's a you had the wrong person making you that so try something different try try what these young kids sometimes suggest if you're a young kid try what the old person suggests don't be so quick to say oh you're old you don't know give it a whirl maybe you take what they did put it into a new flavor and all of a sudden you find you found some common ground in the middle and you go hey Eddie, I know you're in your 70s, and you've always shot photography this way, but let me show you something. You know, I've showed Eddie a few things. He's mostly showed me stuff, but, you know, I've coached him up on some of the newer things, technology, you know, working with programs that he doesn't usually work with, and I've helped him get stronger at what he does by showing him some of the things that I do. Now, most of the stuff he already knows how to do, but he's always been somebody that you can sit there and talk, shop with, and he's not going to shut down because it's the – old way or no no way you know so um back to that whole advice thing you know try everything um you know definitely create a great foundation with education and culture and family um and those types of things to make sure you have that support system in place um listen to people that give you advice that you may not like um you know it's like one of the challenges we have with Rex sometimes is getting him to train that muscle of just doing like his little achieves and those little things that are just going to help him out to become a stronger student, um, you know, cause he was a lot like me. He wasn't a big, f- he's not like in love with school. I, I was the same way. I get it. Like, um, it's a little bit more of a challenge for him. Like my sister was smart as a whip, same with Rowan, you know, and school was a little bit more of a, a difficult thing. Um, so we want to create those habits, but at the same time, allow them to choose their own path um, and find the thing that's really going to help them or f- make them passionate and, you know, that trigger that's, you know, going to make them look at the things that we want them to do as not so much of a chore but as an as a opportunity or a pleasure to do. Um, you know, I viewed working out as not fun. Um, it was usually punishment running for sports and things like that. So that, in my brain, it's, it's very hard to not equate working out with sort of not a negative but sort of not as much fun where... Um, you know, other people, their, their their kids are more into it because it's it's you can create that habit with them of exercise and getting out there and being active and not being glued to your electronics as much as um, every kid, and I'm sure you every parent out there fights that all the time, is them wanting to be consumed with it, and I at times I can't blame them, you know, it's this amazing piece of technology in their hands that, you know, little kids and grandparents behave very similar with a phone, like a toddler and a grandma have the same wide-eyed, I can't believe what I'm looking at. Let me just play with this and learn. They don't, neither one of them knows how to text. You know, they all make weird things happen, but it's this, holy crap, what is this thing? But at the same time, you got to get them out there and get them uh, doing other things that aren't 100% technology-based, even though we may find out in 20 years that everything's technology based and it doesn't matter anyway.
0: My eyes didn't mess up because I played Nintendo too much, Mom. So I want to I let you know of that. I, I got close to the TV and I'm not, well, I'm not all the way blind yet. Um, but I, I tell you, like, uh, Tom, it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, it, for me, it's, it's on so many different levels. Being able to spend time with my friend, um, also, uh, this is a 200th episode. Uh, we're coming up on 100,000 downloads. You out there who have been listening and riding with us have got us in the top 1% globally as far as all the podcasts. That's
1: pretty awesome, dude.
0: And I want to I want to thank you guys. I, I it wasn't what we were shooting for. We just went out and we said, you know, we were going to we wanted to do things that were great and we wanted to do things that felt right and we wanted to do the right thing for the right reasons and guess what starts to happen? The right things always Tend to happen. Well, it's not traditional. The podcast has never been traditional. Sometimes it's forty-five minutes. Sometimes it's an hour and a half. This time, it's almost three hours.
1: We got one like.
0: But what we wanted, what we want to let you know with the podcast is, is thank you. Two hundred episodes. We're just getting started. Uh, one hundred thousand downloads. We're just getting started. One, the top 1% globally, we're just getting started. To put this in perspective, uh, the GOAT, uh, who, is, who is Joe Rogan, is .001%. We're at 1%. We got a lot of ways to go, but as my friend Tom tells me in the, in the, the advice of him, just keep putting the right ingredients in. Keep a part of that process, and I just, I want to thank you, man, for being here, I want to thank you for being on the show, Um, I want to thank all our sponsors, and again, we're not done, we're not done with this stuff, with 200 episodes in, but we're just getting started, we're top 1% globally, and we're just getting started, and I want to thank every single one of you for riding with us, all of our sponsors, you know what you need to do now, click the links, do all the stuff, Uh, do those kind of things, but Tom, I want to thank you again, man, and you're officially off.
1: On, the hot wait. seat. I, What's up? Don't don't go quite yet. I gotta throw one thing out there. What are you to gonna throw? Your... You ain't gonna throw
0: anything about the Steelers.
1: No, no, no. I don't want to throw a complete. Mess.
0: We're gonna put. Hey, I'll tell you what. We are gonna put something in the in the bio. You guys are gonna be able to click it. There's gonna be a deal with uh, with Driveway Auction. Mm-hmm. We're gonna do that. You guys are and it's gonna only be for people who listen to the podcast and the, you, that you're able to do that. It's going to be a great thing for you. Make sure that you check the bio. Check out Driveway Auction. Check out Big Tom Photography. And, I mean, keep following this dude. This dude is on the, and I tell you, Driveway Auction, you got a good one. You got a good one. You got one that is going to be able to honestly play at the highest level no matter what it is that he does. But was that good?
1: That was great. That I appreciate was... you having me, man. It was <laughs> it was fun. I thought I figured we were gonna get up there in that three hour range. I knew and you told me it's about ah, it's about an hour. I'm like, not a chance. Hey,
0: I love this. We man. got off
1: subject sometimes, but no, that's how it it's goes. It's always sometimes. on
0: subject, man. And I, I tell you, we're gonna have you on again, uh, again and again and again and again. And uh, I, again, I just want to thank you, man, and you're officially off the high seat, brother. I uh,
1: appreciate it. Thanks.